the blast from our past network. Hey everyone, co-host Corey here. I just wanted to take a quick second and say thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. Without you, podcasting after dark would not be possible. If you would like to help the show grow, please consider signing up at patreon.com slash podcasting after dark. You can also support the show by purchasing one of our awesome t-shirt designs on our merch store at podcastingafterdark.com or by picking up a copy of Seven Winters Alone by David Irons on paperback, hardback, or Kindle. Just search for Seven Winters Alone on Amazon or click on the link in the show notes. A free way to help out is to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Those reviews are huge for us and really helps get the show in front of new listeners. Again, thank you all so much for the love and support you've given us over these past few years. It really means the world to us. Lock your doors, close your windows, turn out your lights, for chills and thrills await you. It's time for Podcasting After Dark with your hosts, Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Stay with a friend, say your prayers as grisly ghouls close in to seal your doom. Tonight's episode, The Believers, starring Martin Sheen, Robert Loja, and Helen Shaver. What's up, everybody? Welcome to this week's episode of Podcasting After Dark. I'm one half of the pad team, Corey, a.k.a. Sleazy C. Joined with me, as always, is my brother from another mother, Zach, the total snackage Schaefer. What's up, my man? Thanks to Cam Sully, I now have uh, that sublime song, I ain't got no Santeria, <laughs> stuck in my head. I almost got, believer, believer, because of this too, but... Fortunately, I don't. Fortunately, uh, I got those out of my head soon after I started getting paranoid that I had a pimple on my face (laughs) filled with spider eggs. That's how I'm doing today. (laughs) Well, that is great. I'm doing just about the same because I had the exact same song stuck in my head as well. And uh, I can can say that I might have actually been traumatized by this movie just a little bit. Uh, But we are breaking down and we are reviewing... The Believers, 1987, uh, starring Martin Sheen. And this is a Patreon-picked movie. Our pal Cam Sully from the Jacked Up Review Show podcast uh, picked this one for us to review on Patreon. So thank you so much, Cam. Really appreciate you bringing this one to the table. It is a, it is a damn good movie. Yeah, thanks, Cam. You're uh, you're one hell of a dude. We've I've been on your show before, and thank you for having me on your show. Uh, and all you patrons out there and listeners out there, if you want to join at the highest tier, you can do what we're about to do to Cam Sully. <laughs> that sounded really terrible. Or maybe it sounded really good, depending on how you look at it or sound, listen to it. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, I, I guess you could do, and I saw her face. No, I'm, I'm a believer. believer. This is the most fun we'll a... have with this movie because once we get into the breakdown, it's going to be pretty yeah. somber. Uh, but right, I killed a goat. <laughs> now I'm a believer. I got electrocuted. Richard Masur is my hero. Oh, yes, yes, he is. Yes, dude. Major, 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 major. Dude, the hero major. of the movie, in my opinion. Um, he is the hero. He didn't die. He didn't die. <laughs> that's, oh, well, sorry. that's your world building, Zach. 
That's my world building. What is your familiarity with the believers before before now? 1987, it came out, right? Yep. Uh, so it probably came out on video around 1988, perhaps. I remember renting this movie from our local video store next to a Winchell's Donuts in Cupertino, California. Uh, I loved Serpent in the Rainbow, I feel like, came out around the same time. Yes. Um, you know, this has, this has elements of Rosemary's baby in it with, uh, you know, upper class white people in a cult toe dipping in a, in, in a cult. Yeah. Um, I, so I think those were like influences on why maybe I want to watch this. I love Martin Sheen. Martin Sheen does do dark films, you know, uh, case in point dead zone and Firestarter. Um, he does go down that dark route and I think seeing Martin Sheen like as a hero I was like oh I want to see this so I rented it with my brother I was disturbed then <laughs> the opening five minutes of this movie are the most disturbing part of this film period uh now as an adult I haven't watched it since I watched it way back when now watching it as an adult uh, other scenes disturb me equally like the violence that <laughs> the father inflicts on his son yeah and um the way they yell at each other and I'm like oh man <laughs> Hey, you know, it's a sign of the sign of the times, product of the times, I guess. Well, we'll talk about all that stuff. But, yeah, that's my familiarity. I saw it way back when and haven't seen it since. Yeah. No, I, and I see all the things that you sort of, you know, point to with, like, Rosemary's Baby uh, and, and whatnot. Um, I saw shades of Hereditary in here. Now, granted, Hereditary obviously came afterwards. But I, I thought this was probably had more in line with Hereditary than maybe it did with Rosemary's Baby. Um I never. Oh, I'm sure the people who made Hereditary were influenced by this. Yeah, I was just talking to someone the other day about a future movie for two dollar late fee. That was like, oh, season three of Stranger Things totally like picked this like was a was inspired by an homage to if yes, you will. It, but if no one's ever seen that movie or it's not, it's kind of obscure. Then maybe it's kind of a ripoff because they're like, oh, look at this original thing we did, and you're like, no, it's not that original. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, what was it? Uh, Freaking, uh, and then, you know, stuff like, you know, in in Star Wars, the, the Disney movies, how Finn is actually just, uh, 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 what's her name from Captain Power? The girl from, Ca- right. yeah, Pilot's uh, backstory Pilot. was exactly Finn's. And we're just like, holy crap, did they, did J.J. Did Abrams literally just rip off Captain Power? And I think the answer is possibly whether he thought so whether he like he realized or not it might have just been permeated into his head but i do think you're correct i do think a lot of people that make movies now have seen the movies we're discussing you know i think yeah if you look at someone like tarantino and tarantino's like look i love this movie i love that movie and i love that movie that's why i put those things in this movie right uh then you're paying respect and homage to a film but if you're not citing those movies those obscure films in your interviews then you're ripping it off i think you said it right you got to cite your sources for it to be an homage if you don't cite your sources it's a ripoff i like that good job buddy i think we just scored a new pad t-shirt you should make if you don't cite your sources it's a ripoff there there you go um podcasting after dark my familiarity with this movie very limited uh when you know cam picked it I looked it up and I was I recognized both the DVD, the subpar DVD cover, um, and the awesome movie poster. I recognized both of them. Yeah, the movie poster so much better. 
but I never saw it when I was younger. When it came to thrillers, if my dad didn't rent it, I would always lean more towards slasher or sci-fi or, like, adventure, like, Romancing the Stone type of movie, you know, adventure. Um, so I wouldn't really go out of my way to watch this one. And I actually asked my mom today when I was talking to her, I was like, have you ever heard of it? And she was like, no. I was like, well, that's perfect. And I, it's oh. a cult movie then, you know, through and through. But I will say, when I was watching it, the scene at the beginning, the traumatic scene, I realized that I had seen that on Instagram. Someone, because you know we follow so many like horror pod- podcasts or horror pages and things like that on Instagram. Someone posted yeah. the whole clip, and so out of context. And usually, I, I always read to see what that movie is that I'm watching, but sometimes like someone won't say. So out of context, I watched it, and you know what I thought it was? What I was seeing that movie from 1988, Pulse. With on the cover, the ladies getting like electrocuted, you know, and I thought that's what this was, what I was watching. And then, you know, being surprised to find out that it was actually, um, you know, uh, this movie that we're watching here. But I thought this. Oh, is- yeah. Isn't Timothy Bottoms in that film? Timothy Tops. I mean, Bottoms. Or Joey Lawrence. Joey Lawrence. Yes. Is in one uh, of those. No, Matthew Lawrence and Joey Lawrence are both in it. Uh, Cliff yeah. DeYoung is also in it. Um, yes, but yeah, right. I, I thought I've also, and, and Robert, uh, Romanus is in it. Um, and I, I've, yes. I've never seen pulse either, but just because of knowing that cover of that lady being electrocuted on the cover, I thought that that's what that was. And then being shocked when I realized it was the believers. So long way of no saying pun intended there though, <laughs> no pun intended. True. True. Long way of saying I have no experience with this movie whatsoever. I think uh, I think we should do a, a shocking uh, shock month, Shocktober. We should do Shocker. Shocker. We should, yeah, Shocker, Shocker. and uh, Pulse, uh, or maybe Horror Show, with uh, which is technically House Part Four. Yes, yes. Have you ever seen Pulse? This movie I was I was talking about. Yeah, okay. I I saw it when I was a kid. Okay. I haven't seen it since. Uh, I just remember seeing Joey Lawrence in it and going, "Whoa." <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, Cam. I'm I'm glad Cam chose this because this is a little bit out of our, uh, you know, wheelhouse category. House. Uh, we don't typically do uh, main. This is a mainstream thriller. It's directed by an Academy Award winning director, um, and has has a star studded cast. So it's not typically something we would cover. But it definitely fits the category. You nailed it. It is a cult film because I think a lot of people forgot about this movie. Um, I don't think these types of films were very popular ever were very popular. You know, I think uh, Serpent in the Rainbow, as much as I love it, and I think diehard horror film fans love it. I don't think mainstream audiences like Serpent in the Rainbow. I don't think it did very well when it came out, as far as I can recall. I would say what probably recall. Ro- recall. What uh, Rosemary's Baby is probably the most mainstream of these cult-themed thrillers, basically. Yeah, and I think that one is popular because it's got a child molester as a director. Oh, kidding. (laughs) Sorry. Not really, actually. Uh, And, you know, like that stuff just... Roman Polanski's God to so many people. Oh my God, he's such an amazing director. Yeah, well, he still did some horrible things. Yes, sure uh, did. Whatever. And Wes Craven never did. Wes Craven never did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, he just mm-hmm. acted in body bags, but he was also the best yes. actor in body bags. Yes, he was. He that's very true across the board. And he produced a lot of stinkers too. But um, 
yeah, no, th- this film is uh, this film is a f- is, is going to be fun to, to discuss and break down because will it's, it will it's also, it be fun? <laughs> well, fun in the in the disturbing yes, sense. Yes, yes, yeah. No, we're gonna have, we're gonna have a blast. But uh, you mentioned the director, um, an Academy Award winning director. You said John John Schlesinger. Schlesinger. Yeah, what uh, what did he win an Academy Award for? Midnight Cowboy. Ah, yes. There you go. <laughs> I mean, like the guy is. I mean that alone. There's a oh man. I just wish there was a time when I could say the line from. Uh, but I love when John Voight's like, "You call me a fag." <laughs> but uh, I mean that film alone is a is a is is would put you at the top of uh, any list, you know, because it's a classic film. Is that the uh, also direct- is that the Hey, I'm walking here. Yeah, it's that one. It's uh. Uh, everybody's talking about me. Matter what they're saying. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, my, my, my. It's very, you know, this that genre of films, by the way, um, was a very tragic genre. It came out what 1969. You know, post Vietnam War era films, very dark endings, like, like Easy Rider, right? Like this, this is the totally. era of Easy Rider, and then. You know, in movies like I think like Vanishing Point and stuff like that uh, is also yep. kind of a tragic one. But these are also the movies that kind of pushed George Lucas to create fantasy because no one was creating like sci-fi fantasy at the time or movies really for kids because it was all these kind of movies. Uh, Marathon totally. Man, speaking of, you know, the director, it's another movie that he did that's in that same sort of era and everything. And Day of the Locust. Uh, Day of the Locust is is a very tragic film. Very good. If you've never seen Day of the Locust with Karen Black and Donald Sutherland and Burgess Meredith and William Atherton. Damn. Woo! That's a cast. And Richard Dysart and Bo Hopkins and Pepe Serna and, oh, my gosh, Billy Barty and Jackie Earl Haley and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. Uh, yeah, John Schlesinger is, is probably our most uh, mainstream famous director we've ever had on the show. Yeah, no, I, I I agree with that, and uh, you know I agree with what you're saying. How this is a mainstream movie, but yeah, I don't think it you know really did that well in the in the market and whatnot. Um, I'm looking right now. The budget for it was 13 million. Now you got to figure that's 1987 money, um, and it only well it grossed 18, but still that's not like a huge huge jump, you know, especially not with Martin Sheen as your lead. I mean, Martin Sheen, yeah, it's he's an interesting. Uh, we'll, we'll get that when we get to his kind of body of work. I wouldn't call him a leading man. I'd say that he's a, a very great supporting actor. I don't. I wouldn't put. I would put Charlie Sheen above Martin Sheen as far as leading man is concerned. I'm not. I'm not saying he's a better actor. I'm saying as far as like star power carrying a movie. You think when you think Charlie Sheen, you think lead actor in a movie. When you think Martin Sheen, I know people will say Apocalypse, Apocalypse now. now, but he's not. But that's but, an ensemble yeah, film. Yeah, exactly. That's not a movie where you're like, it's not a Martin Sheen movie. Like I don't think of that no. as a Martin Sheen movie. That's just I think of it as, yeah, it's an ensemble. The movie, it's about the story. It's not about you know the, the one particular actor. Although Marlon Brando yeah. will probably say it was about him. You know. It was, it was about me. Where's my milkshake? <laughs> yeah, my um, milkshake. 
<laughs> Before we talk about the cast, can we talk about the writer Mark Frost? Yes, uh, please. Holy so shit. So talk about a yin-yang career. <laughs> right? Maybe more yang than yang. He, he writes like a lot of episodes of Hill Street Blues, and he's a showrunner on Twin Peaks, but he also wrote the Fantastic Four movie that came out in 2005. And the one with Silver Surfer, too. Oh, God. <laughs> although, I'm not going to lie to you, I didn't hate the Michael Chiklis, you know, one, although I haven't seen it in forever. Did you see the other one? The other, the the reboot one? Yeah, I watched it. It's it's terrible. It's, yeah, it is It is like the worst. That is the worst movie. I know a lot of people are hating on Flash right now. That is the worst movie, superhero movie, or movie I think I've ever seen. I, it's bad. I completely agree with you my friend <laughs> people yeah, should not he, forget he, that <laughs> no no i mean he's yeah he's done as far as television is, is concerned he wrote the uh, screenplay for a thriller called storyville with uh james spader which is uh, i highly recommend that film i absolutely recognize that it. cover yeah it's good it's a it's a good like political thriller kind of thing but he dates back all the way to six million dollar man back in the day so um that's pretty amazing he's he's you know, still around, um, pretty impressive credits and some obvious stinkers. <laughs> Everyone has also some stinkers, wanna, right? <laughs> no. I, yeah. I also want to point out the, uh, the composer for this was J Peter Robinson. He, because at one point the, the music goes to like synth score, which is kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's two scenes where the music has a obvious shift, but he was the composer for cocktail Wayne's world, uh, Wes Craven's New Nightmare, mm. for example, like those are some uh, some some good ones. You know, he's got he's got some cool films under his belt that he's worked on, including uh, he's actually a, po- a podcast after dark alumni because he worked on Return of the Living Dead Part Two. Yes, yes, exactly. So you know, pretty decent resume. Uh, he was a composer for the TV show Charmed. I never watched that show, but I know it has a big following, just like um, Supernatural did and i feel like they're they're all in that same vein like the wb thriller show yeah you know fantasy shows. yeah i know yeah like those hour-long sci-fi or fantasy drama things i know i wasn't big into them back in the day and i i too want to call out somebody before we jump into the cast uh the editor is peter honus um and he was the editor on la confidential which is a huge fucking movie i mean it's academy award-winning film as well I mean, I guess nowadays people go like, and I'm a, I'm a part of that where I just go, yeah, so what? That it's Academy Award winning, but there was a time when it did mean something yeah. more than it does now. Yeah, no, I I agree with you, buddy. We don't put as much emphasis on it, but then at the same time, when somebody we're talking about is an Academy Award winner, we emphasize it. So I I don't know. Hey. Right. I mean, look, there was a time when people would say, I'm an MTV movie award winner, baby. Like, <laughs> yeah. That's cool. That's yeah. cool. Uh, dude, um, can I say real quick, because uh, we're going to talk about Martin Sheen right now. I just showed Myra Repo Man a couple months ago. Love that yeah. movie. It's the second time I've seen it now. Uh, oh, it's great. Having owned the, the Criterion Blu-ray. She loved it, by the way. Man, Emilio Estevez looks so much like his dad. I think Emilio. Emilio looks more like Martin Sheen than Charlie Sheen does. Oh, yeah, totally. And, I mean, Emilio changed his name to uh, back to Estevez to, like, to, uh, you know, make his 
to kind of distance himself so he didn't feel like he was kind of the same way Nicolas Cage changed his name from Coppola because yeah. he didn't want that connotation. Um, I think Emilio is a better actor than Charlie. I do too. And and I think he's also a better overall person. No, um, <laughs> Probably. I don't know. I don't I don't know. I, I don't I really don't know. I take that's my take back. It's my lone take back for the night. Um, I he's a better artist overall because he's a writer and a director and blah, 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 blah. But Martin Sheen uh, is an activist, like a political activist. He's always been a political activist. He's gotten himself arrested for, you know, protesting very notable causes like, um, you know, nuclear bomb testing in, in, in Nevada. And um, uh, in fact, my ex-wife got arrested with him and a bunch of other people at a protest way back when. <laughs> and, uh, and so I know it is fact. Uh, he, but he, but like we said, Apocalypse Now, he's probably like people go, oh yeah, that, but they don't go, that's that Martin Sheen movie. I love him in, I mean, I've seen Badlands. I've seen a lot of the movies that he was a lead in, but I, I love him in those eighties horror films that he did like Firestarter, like I mentioned. Yeah. And, uh, and, um, Dead Zone, you know, uh, another great one. Dead Zone is is highly underrated. David Cronenberg, Stephen King film, and a Firestarter was another Stephen King film. Yeah, I just watched Dead Zone. I'd seen it when I was a kid, didn't remember it, but I just watched it probably about six months ago, also with Myra. Very much enjoyed that movie, um, had a good time with it. Uh, and yeah, I liked him in it as well. Yeah, I don't always like I never go out of my way be like, oh, I'm going to go see a Martin Sheen movie. But whenever he's in it, I'm always like, oh, yeah, I, I like Martin Sheen. You know, I'm like, I'm always have a good time with him. But then he kind of like when he's not in the movie, I don't really ever think about him otherwise. No, no, I I, I mean, he's just I like I, he's a supporting actor. He's a good supporting actor. If you've never seen the movie Cadence that Charlie Sheen did with, uh, I think, Lawrence Fishburne is in that too. He gets like these eight ball tattoos, eight ball tattoos on, his, on his hands. I saw that movie with my dad. My dad rented it. The only thing I can remember about it, because I thought I was, I was kind of young. I was kind of bored during the movie. But I do remember <laughs> Charlie Sheen had those eight balls uh, tattooed on his hands. Yeah, yeah. And Martin Sheen plays uh, like the, you know, the general in it or something. His 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 instructor or whatever he is. Uh, but. And I think he commits suicide, like his character commits suicide at the end or something tragic okay. happens. I just remember the the guy singing, um, oh, don't you know, that's the sound of the man working on the chain gang. Like they do this you know, <laughs> yeah. whole thing. And I'm like, oh, yeah, they're like dancing and singing. Cool. Cadence uh, is worth revisiting. I'm sure. I'm sure it's better than I remember it being. I was just really young when I saw it. And I just wanted to see things explode and everything. Of and, course. You know. There's no explosions. It's a drama. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Helen does not shave her. Uh, <laughs> she she plays Jessica Halliday. I would I when I in, uh, you know in the intro to this you hear me cite Robert Loja a second build and then Helen Shaver. There's it's an ensemble cast outside of Martin Sheen. Everyone's kind of equal. Yeah, they have equal scenes. But but she's great. She's great yeah. in this. No, she is. I mean, let's be honest. Everyone's fantastic in this movie. Um, it's it's an all-star cast. Um, and she's been, like, working and directing, like, acting and directing for a while now. She, like, directs, like, Law & Order episodes and SVU and stuff like that. But our, uh, our 80s kids and 90s kids will know her as uh, Littlefoot's mom in The Land Before Time. 
I never saw those movies. So. I saw the first one when I was a kid, uh, 1988, so I was 10 years old. I get it. You were 12, so that was a little – I was probably, like, right on the cusp because I never saw any of the other ones, but I did yeah. see that one in the theater, and I did enjoy it. It's a big deal. Yeah. It's a big deal. I remember her uh, from the Tremors 2 movie, and I remember I was so excited to see Tremors 2, and I was like, but Kevin Bacon's not in it, so it doesn't – it's not the same. Uh, but she's, like, the lead – the female lead in that film. Um, and then if you've never seen the poltergeist TV series that Showtime put out in the late nineties, oh it was pretty good. Oh it was pretty good. Oh my God. I totally forgot that that even existed. Like you just said it and my brain was like, uh, you know, I was like, it's pretty I was good. like Johnny mnemonic. I was, I was getting hit. I totally nice. fucking forgot that that show, that was a show. Yeah. She was at Fangoria. I believe she was at Fangoria promoting that show. And I remember I still have a a, fan, a Poltergeist the series like notepad that they gave out to everybody like promo items. Dude, it was on for four seasons. Yeah, I mean it's worth noting. Yeah, worth, yeah, I, clearly <laughs> better than a lot of the other crap that's come out. Um, you know, it came out in the height of the X Files and stuff like yeah. that. So I think uh, people who like supernatural type stuff should check it out. Okay, all right. Yeah, I totally forgot yeah, that it existed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Harley Cross, he's third build in IMDb, plays uh, Chris, Chris Jameson, uh, Martin Sheen's son. Martin Sheen plays Cal Jameson. Harley Cross was a kid actor. Up until about 2004, he had been working fairly regularly. Um, but more as a kid actor, I think that's where he had a lot of his fame. He did a film called Where Are the Children? It was a drama thriller, like kidnapping, kids getting kidnapped. I remember being super creepy. It starred, oh God, this actor named Max Gale, who was on Barney Miller oh. for the longest time. Oh yeah, I remember he's like a, He was like, it was like when... You know, be, before Picard made balding cool yeah. <laughs> with the hair on the sides, he yeah. kind of had that same look to him. He looked cool. Yeah. Um, but he's a good kid actor. Yeah. Really good, really good kid yeah, actor. Yeah, I wasn't, I'm never, I'm never the biggest fan of like kids in movies, but he's turning in a fantastic performance in this thing. So, and by, he was born the same year I was. Actually, he was born, uh, well, I was born a couple weeks, looks like, before him. So essentially, he was my age when this movie was, was out. Wow. Yeah. I mean, and for the stuff that he goes through in this film, I'm, I'm sure he had a lot of therapy after that, or I hope he did because it's very dramatic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, Robert Loja. Robert Loja. Oh my God. He's always going to be Lieutenant the old. Lieutenant Sean McTaggart. He's always going to be the old guy in big for me. Yeah. I mean, I loved him in career. What not, not career. Uh, what was the movie he did with Dana Carvey? Uh, I mean, I mean, a lot of people love him in Scarface, but, um, and obviously big, but he did a movie with uh, with Dana Carvey where he plays like he plays like a gangster. I feel like um, oh, what was it called? Oh, Opportunity Knocks. Oh. Yeah. So so Opportunity Knocks was a was a good one that he was in. Necessary Roughness was a fun football movie with uh, Scott Bakula. And then, of course, Gladiator, which is my favorite Robert Loja role. Gladiator, the boxing movie with. Cuba Gooding Jr. Right. and um, uh, James Marshall and Brian Dennehy. If you've never seen that movie, go watch Gladiator. That movie's dope. I love that film. Okay. All right. I'll add it to the list. <laughs> <laughs> Noted. Noted. Um, 
I mean, so Harris Eulin, who plays Donald Calder. Dude, you know where I know him from. He was the most, he was like, I wanted to punch him in the face in Ghostbusters 2 so badly. I know, he, he plays the judge in Ghostbusters 2. Such an asshole. He's That's such... what he gets billed at first billing on his IMDb. I know, I know. He's such an asshole in it, but... I mean, it's always going to be burned into my my head. Um, I was happy to see him do more here in this movie and actually oh, yeah. get get a, like a lot of screen time because I mean he's only in Ghostbusters two for like you know fifteen minutes or something. Um, but I, I, I liked it both. I'm mean, right when I saw him I was like that's the judge from Ghostbusters two. Right, right. And so a couple things here. One, he was also in Scarface with Robert Lalozia. Yeah. Uh, but then you also when offline with diallo we were texting about upcoming tv uh, obscura shows you posted a, a picture to us with helen shaver and harris Eulen, both in this yes. television series um yes. a news series what is it called yeah dude this is crazy it's called wiou it was a tv series from 1990 to 91 it was just one season um but not only very obscure very obscure i think we're gonna actually bring it to tv obscura one day because we were shocked uh, that it had both Helen Shaver and uh, Harris Eulen in it. But also, Zach, I know you ex- are excited about this as well. Uh, the show also features Phil Morris, who was in Seinfeld as Jackie Childs. I mean, I remember that character really well. Who <laughs> does? I mean, everybody does, you know? By the way, Seinfeld gets brought up at least once a week uh, on either Podcasting After Dark or $2 Late Fee. In, or territory marks in some way. I mean, Just, dude, it's one of the best sitcoms. It is my favorite TV show of all time, followed by Night Court. And I did not know it was filmed in Los Angeles. I thought for some reason it was filmed in New York. Oh yeah, because it's a very New York show. But yeah, it's it's definitely it was filmed in LA. So. Um, Richard Major, Major, yes. Major. I keep saying his name wrong. Richard Mazur, Major, Major, uh, Major. I just found out the other day that it's not David Rash, it's David Rashi. I know. I heard the episode of Two Dollar Leafy when you found out about it. <laughs> so, damn it. Uh, Richard Major, Major, oh, damn it, plays Marty <laughs> Wertheimer. Um, I mean, look, is this guy not the maybe the most underrated character actor of the 80s? Dude, I think that hits the nail on the head. Um, of course, he played Clark in The Thing, um, so he's a Podcast After Dark alumni. But, I mean, he just played so many, like, great dad roles. He was also in the the It uh, TV show back in the day. Um, License to Drive. License to, he, was, he was the dad in License to Drive, yeah. right? Like, to me... He will, and he was in that should that made for TV Disney movie. I think the Boogity Man or whatever, um, which as a kid, or he might have been, he might have been in part two. I, I can't remember. No, he exactly. was in both. Yeah. Okay, um, but yeah, as a kid, and even to to today, I would say he's like the quintessential dad. You know, with that mustache and that that sort of that floppy hair a little bit. You know, and just, yeah, like a lovable guy. Yeah. Uh, you know, from. I'm going to shout this movie out again because I shouted it out uh, recently. Shoot to Kill with Sidney Poitier and Tom Berenger because he's in that as well. That's got a star-studded cast, by the way. Really, really love that movie. Why that's not on Blu-ray is beyond me. Um, I think in The Boogity Man, doesn't he, he like has a has a, a magic company or like props or something yeah, like that and I he does seen magic forever, in this but that that uh, makes sense he does do magic in this so that makes you wonder 
is that something that Richard Mazur actually just knows himself? You know, like yes. he does. Is he a magic man? Yes, yeah, sleight of hands, kind of like um Steve Martin, right? Yeah, yeah. I see the magic man. <laughs> Did you ever watch Adventure Time? No, the cartoon. No. Oh my god, yeah. You you should. Re- I'm seriously, seriously. You should. I cried at the end of that series. It's so brilliant. I've heard nothing um, but good things. But there's a character called the Magic Man who's just a total asshole. He's like, <laughs> I could show you where it is, but I'm not going to. <laughs> right? And, and the first trick he does, he's like, look at this bird. And the bird lands on his hand. And he, and he goes, magic. And he turns, it, he turns the bird inside out. That's and the bird f- falls to the ground and it's like flopping because all it is is muscles. It looks like something from Psycho Gorman. And he goes, magic. <laughs> That's hilarious. Anyways. <laughs> Uh, Jimmy Smith's yeah. one of his earliest roles after running scared with uh, Gregory Hines and Billy Crystal. But Jimmy Smith's is Tom Lopez. Yeah, dude. I mean, obviously, you know, NYPD Blue. Um, I mean, he was he's always been a great actor. I think NYPD Blue probably kind of put him on the mainstream map uh, at that point. But even like when he was on NYPD Blue, I remember it was a big deal that he was coming to it, you know? Wasn't he in L.A. Law also? Yeah, he was. He was in L.A. Law for okay. a long time. Okay. That's, That's... I think he got his start with L.A. Law, and then when he came to NYPD Blue, people freaked out. It was a big deal, yeah. I was a big-time watcher of NYPD Blue back in the day. Um, like, from the, Same. Like, the first five seasons, I watched it religiously. Um, yeah, he was one of those guys that I think had a stronger television career for the longest time. Uh, he did try to break out into films, starring in films as well. But I just I think he was better suited for uh, television ensemble cast. He was on West Wing with Martin Sheen, so there you yeah. go. There's a nice connection there. But of course, for uh, me, want... he'll always be Bail Organa, Princess Leia's you know father. And I like what how they've been basically using him ever since the prequels as that role. And it's kind of perfect because you know he'll age in real life and then. His character will have aged in the movies, and he'll be in Rogue One and stuff. So I think it's great how how he's kind of stuck with the Bail Organa role. I agree. I agree. He's one of the highlights to the new Star Wars films. Yeah. yeah. Um, the last actor I'm going to mention is Malik Bowens. Yes. He is the lead quote quote villain in this. He plays Paulo. Uh, he's had a pretty decent career. He passed away in the 2017 at the age of 76, but he was in over 25 uh, movies and television shows, and some of them pretty popular, pretty notable, uh, like Ali and Tears of the Sun, <laughs> Double Team, uh, Outbreak. You know, like some pretty toutable things he was in the television series of tarzan for 25 episodes he played simon govier uh i never watched that show but it starred wolf larson i remember that guy being like oh his name's wolf okay cool uh he was one of the top build guys in that show so you know he had a strong strong career yeah no and and he's in he's a very interesting actor um i very much enjoyed him in this although i was a little I was trying to figure out did did he did he have his eyebrows trimmed like are they like groomed a little bit? Yeah, and then and then at one point like you know he's his eyes are all messed up and then they're not messed up at all and I'm like oh or is that is that intentional too? Yeah, we're gonna have to uh, discuss like when his eyes are natural versus all white versus milky white and I think when they're milky white is when he's like he's using his powers to control you but when they're gotcha. all white. 
he has no control over himself because that's when he was dancing and everything. And then when they're brown, he's just blending in and he's not showing off his power at all. That's how I tracked the eyes because they don't really explain it. No. It's one of the minor flaws to this film. Yeah, yeah, very minor, but and there's very few flaws. But, you know, there were a couple times where I was like, okay, you know, uh, like Carmen, you know, is, is is she living at the house? Does she not live at the house? Like little things like that that I was a little bit unsure of, you know? Yeah. And then, you know, Martin Sheen's flipping out on her one minute and then the next minute he's going and doing full on, you know, crazy magic. Like he gave up, like, I don't know. I'm sure there was a time lapse in between there when he kicks her out of his house. And then right. He, yeah. Like, oh, he he sure did make the jump. <laughs> I I would have rather gone with Carmen to uh, do some positive magic instead of uh, Oscar. The other dude, <laughs> Oscar. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Lots to get to. Yes. Lots to believe it. Believe it. <laughs> yeah, buddy. You want to get to this uh, electrifying opening? Oh my god. Yeah. If we don't, then Daddy's gonna give you a spanking. <laughs> Ew, gross. More than anything else, Cal Jameson wants to leave the horror of his old life behind. Now, in his new life, he's about to discover that the real horror is just beginning. Don't you come any closer! Did you see what they did to the kid in there? You said he found the body on an altar with a lot of religious paraphernalia, right? A religion as old as time. One life from each of us count. Versus an unimaginable force for evil. This ritual's being performed now. One life is all he has. Nothing can stop them. It's a power you can't imagine. Want them to know who you are? Do you? What have they done to you, Sean? I can't move. No one can help you. I got my shield. Don't you get it? You looked into his eyes, and you both saw the power of the man who killed them. Jessica! They know who you are. Chris was chosen, Cal. When he found the shell, it was a sign. We want you to join us. Chris! So the movie opens with MGM, then Orion Pictures logos, buddy. I miss that logo. Uh, I love the Orion Pictures logo, man. Same, same. I was like, oh, haven't seen this in a while. Felt good. It did. It uh, did. Orion's back, though. Apparently, Orion Pictures is is like a small indie, like oh. it's an indie offshoot of a larger company. I think. Okay. I think. I mean, I mean that logo still has brand recognition. I would imagine, like you and I both, I imagine felt the exact same way. We got the nostalgic tingles inside of us when we saw it. Yeah, it took me back to uh, RoboCop. I think was the yeah. the one I remember the most yep. with Orion Pictures. Same, same Z's. We see Cal Jamison, Martin Sheen, jogging through a suburban neighborhood in the morning. A milkman is delivering milk to people's houses. Did that still happen in 1987? I think they're supposed to be 
you know, portraying any town USA kind of thing, uh, wholesome. Yeah. But did you notice the music cues were awfully reminiscent of the fog? John Carpenter's the fog, the dun, 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 the piano. Yes, I I did notice that, and I also noticed that it was trying to be a bit ominous with the milk uh, guy behind Martin Sheen jogging. But like that doesn't really it doesn't lead to anything, you know? It doesn't. But but the whole tone from from that from that moment to uh, the wife, uh, the way the the camera is shot. The, the, the way the camera's, uh, you know, from ground level looking up at the wife, weird angles. Yes. It's really setting up this, like, there's impending doom. I There you go. That's perfect. It's because it's the juxtaposition of this beautiful suburban neighborhood. And then you're right, because uh, we see Cal's wife, Lisa, played by Jeanette Lane Green, pick up the milk and the newspaper in her bathrobe off the front porch of her home and bring them inside. And you're right. That shot is very low to the ground and looking up at her kind of like the same at the very end where Cal is getting all the information and he kind of stands up out of the, the couch and he goes like the camera is super low and he goes super high. And I'm like, yeah, the, the director and the cinematographer are telling us something right now, you know? And I think you're right about this as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's all intentional. Um, I just have to really quickly say that I think this is a movie that you'll need to watch more than once because of major plot points that get revealed at the end that really makes sense for the film overall. Agreed. I picked up on more the second time I watched this while I was breaking it down. I was like, oh, because I had some questions the first time, and I was like, I, I don't hope I don't have to bring this up on the show, and then I'm breaking it down. I'm like, ah, I, I get it. I see. Okay, I see what happened here. Yeah. Lisa and Cal's 8-year-old son, Chris is sitting in the kitchen playing with an Indian doll, Chief Black Cloud. Lisa starts making breakfast and tells them they are running late. We see the electronic coffee pot is leaking coffee onto the counter. Foreshadow. Yep. Cal comes in sweaty from his jog. Chris tells him a knock-knock joke. Knock-knock. Who's there? Dwayne. Dwayne who? Dwayne the bathtub. I'm drowning. Cal says that's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Dad jokes from the kid perspective. I love it. And then, by the way, I mean, again, the the kid who plays Chris is great. I think he's fantastic. Yeah, and, and at first I was, like, a little annoyed by him, but I'm like, no, the kid, that's what that's how kids act. He's he's eight years old. Eight-year-old kids can be annoying, and he like, in, that, in, in, in a realistic way. Yeah. Cal walks over to Lisa and sarcastically asks her what time her friends left this morning. She says with a smile, I thought they were your friends. She says they left around 3 a.m. and that Cal used to be able to go all night. Cal rinses out a wine glass in the sink, then fills it with water and pours it on his sweaty head. I know, but I can't do it anymore. Chris asks what he can't do anymore. Lisa and Cal say in unison, eat your breakfast. Uh, by the way, this triggered those memories in me where my mom was like, like talking to my stepdad about the night before. And I was like, what? Ew, I don't need to know any of that. <laughs> oh, childhood trauma from your sexualized parents. Oh, hey, I baby, think, that was so great. I didn't think that that's, that's where this was going to go. but oh, It always goes somewhere. It does. it does. Cal reaches into the fridge but knocks over the fresh carton of milk and it spills all over the kitchen floor. He tries to soak it up with his socks, but Lisa tells him she'll take care of it and to just go take a shower. 
as huh. one does with socks. Dude, those things are gross, and I hate Disgusting. those. Those old 80s socks where they're, like, thick and white and real tall with the red band around the top. Oh, they always just, they always got brown and nasty looking, you know? Yeah, you know, oh, yeah, gross. While Cal is in the shower and Lisa is cleaning up the milk, Chris tells Mom the coffee machine is boiling over. We see a spark shoot out right by the switch. Lisa walks over to turn it off while still standing in milk. As she does, we hear we hear a surge of electricity and see her feet go stiff. Upstairs in the shower, Cal sees the lights flicker and hears Chris yelling. Cal runs downstairs and sees Lisa standing in the puddle of milk with her fingers still on the coffee machine and she's being electrocuted. Cal yells to Chris not to not touch her. They both scream as she dies standing up. So my little description here does not do it justice. It is traumatizing. I say that as a, as a man who watched it for the first time as a 45-year-old man. I found this to be traumatizing. I thought this was horrifying. Like, I can't even imagine, like, uh, the kid having to witness that and then having Cal witness that and just having your the future that you thought you had just zap away. It's a brilliant opening yeah. because it, it goes from, you know, positive to negative. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you should always put positive on positive, by the way, uh, <laughs> on a battery. You don't want to charge your shock yourself um, in a heartbeat. Again, no pun intended, but it's like, oh, it's so shocking. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, and, it's so traumatizing. And just, you know, there's no blood coming out of her ears or nose or whatever but the fact that like her eyes are rolling back and she's twitching and like her feet are all stiff i don't need it to be gory this was horrifying enough as it was yeah yeah do you think this was planned like do you think what happened i i I know you okay so yeah do you think like that the the cult people actually planned this i'm gonna say no because it seems later that kate kind of has a change of heart so I'm going to say that I don't think she would have even sort of allowed them to be targets. And having watched the movie multiple times, I think they're in Minnesota at this point because um, the kid keeps wearing a Minnesota um, uh, or Minneapolis shirt, and that he talks yeah. about that later. I think they're probably too far out of the range at this point. I think this is horrible, horrible happenstance. Okay. So the lawsuit is legit then? I think so, yeah. I, okay. I think so, yeah. All right. Cut to an African tribe at night dancing around a fire. The credits play as we see a young Caucasian couple with a sick little boy watch the ritual. There's a young African boy with blue eyes in the middle of the dancing. He's just sitting and looking straight ahead. The head priest walks up to the couple and takes their sick boy and places him on the altar. The music and dancing intensifies as the boy is prepped for the ritual. We see he has sores all over his body. The parents both drink something out of a clay bowl. A goat is brought out to the altar as well, to be sacrificed, we assume. The young African boy with the blue eyes watches as the priest brings up his dagger and plunges it down to where we don't know. We think the goat for now. But the way it's shot and everything, you don't know where he plunged downwards to. Yeah, it's a great opening. Uh, and I love the placement of the credits too, by the yeah. way. It's, yeah. it's over to the side corner, mm -hmm. which... I feel like it's something that is rarely done, um, you know, and it's a nice touch. It's cool. 
Yeah, because it doesn't obscure anything. Um, but this is one of those moments that after you watch the whole movie, you go back and you rewatch it again, and this is a whole new light. Here, you're you're thinking that they're trying to cure the kid, but it's a whole new light once you finish the movie. Yeah, so this is an interesting discussion because while that is cool on one hand, like all these things that you won't pick up until the end, um, I like that. But this film is two hours long. And so I think in some degree it's easy to forget about certain things because it's such a long movie. Um, and they do, you know, they, they do recap you a little bit. But yeah. I think you would gain more by having this film be maybe 10 minutes shorter. I can't disagree there. I don't know offhand where I would want to cut something, but I can't disagree with that. I do tend to believe that uh, a shorter movie is, I always think it is better because I think that you need to be more concise and more um, precious. The, dire the director, the creatives need to be more precious with their time and be more thoughtful with their time. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I don't mind the runtime of this, but I can't deny the fact that it would probably benefit from just being trimmed by five or 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Certain things need to be trimmed <clears throat> later on. Yes, yes. I have that in my notes as well. <laughs> I don't know what you're referring to, but we'll find out. <laughs> Cut back to New York City, and Cal and Chris are moving into a new row house. Uh, it looks to me like they're probably in Brooklyn area, I'm thinking. Yeah, I'm looking at it like uh, that's probably six high six figures now to yes. uh, move into. <laughs> yes, <laughs> at no. least. Brooklyn is like the new, well, I think like five or six years ago it was the new hotness. Now I think it's completely, you know, blown out uh, any kind of price range of, of normal people. It's it's all just rich people now in Brooklyn. All rich people, yeah. yeah. I mean, God bless them. Good for you, but bummer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and by the way, you can tell I wrote these notes before I figured out that the opening scene took place in Minnesota because I said cut back back to new york and they weren't actually there the first time at first i thought they were in upstate new york but he's got the kids guy you know he's got the minnesota sh sweatshirt on and then later the cop mctaggart asks you know where he's from and he says minnesota yeah yeah i know i i mean these are things that like you find out moving forward um and it's fine i think it to me it's like an old school way of storytelling that you don't necessarily see i think nowadays they they cover those bases so you don't have a bunch of questions looming. But there's a lot of questions going on here. You know, the relationship with uh, Helen Shaver's character in the beginning that you're about to get introduced to, you're like, wait, she's a landlord? I, who is she? How? What's yeah. the connection here? Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, and then yeah, and then his you know best friend is uh, Marty, and Marty lives in New York. So like, were they friends? You know, like back from Columbia Day. Well, we'll we'll get into all that. So yeah, Cal. Uh, hired a nanny named Carmen Riaz, um, played by Carla Penza, uh, to help watch over his son. We see Cal is having a therapy session for a police officer in his office. Now, we didn't call it out, but I will say this police officer is played by Eddie Jones. I know him, or we all know him, from The Rocketeer, The Grifters, A League of Their Own. Um, and then he was also on that show called WIOU with Helen Shaver Har and Harris Eulen. So yeah, there's a he, third he's person a, in, in that show. He's also in, uh, he's also in sneakers, by the way. Yes. yes uh, he he's one of the FBI agents yep. or, or, or ATF or whatever they are. Mm -hmm. 
and you just watched uh, Rocketeer recently, so you saw him. And that wasn't he one of the he, he worked he not worked, but I think he was always at the diner or something, right? Yeah, he had he was like a he was a sweet character because yeah. I I remember him so well from Sneakers being such a great asshole in that, and you know my my younger self would always get fixated on one particular role an actor played and like oh that guy's always an asshole no he wasn't he played a sweet character in the rocketeer yeah no he did he did that movie does not hold up by the way so oh that's a shame that's sorry i know it does not i mean i think his design i think the rocketeer's design uh holds up i think that's impeccable but um i do remember the last time i watched that movie the pacing is very off like you don't actually see the rocketeer very much like he He's the Rocketeer, like maybe ten minutes out of a two-hour movie. Yeah, and Billy Campbell's. I mean, it's got a great cast. It's got all the things going for it. It that deserves a reboot. Yeah, I would easily, based on all the technology we have now, it's '90s CGI. So you know how we feel about '90s CGI. Um, it Disney could do themselves a major service by doing a series for the Rocketeer. And also, side note, uh, the Rocketeer was directed by Joe Johnston who was the guy that designed Boba Fett. Um, he used to work at ILM, and, you know, we all know Ralph McQuarrie and everything from Star yeah. Wars and whatnot, but Joe Johnston, uh, I think starting in Empire Strikes Back, he was the guy that did a lot of the mechanical designs and stuff, like the AT-AT and the ATSTs and stuff like that, but he also uh, designed Boba Fett. Boba Fett. Oh, that's cool. Boba Fett. Okay. Where? Boba Fett. Boba Fett. Where? Uh, a t- tangent. Anyways, <laughs> back to this. So um, yes. I'm gonna have a tangent in a moment on another actor to see if you recognized him as well. I have somebody. One of the movers. Yes. Yes. Yes, I do. Yes. He, uh, yes. Uh, we'll just say it right now. Um, that mover that we're gonna call out is Gary Farmer, um, and I love him on Reservation Dogs. He's fan fucking tastic, and that show is fan fucking tastic. Yeah, if you don't know who Gary Farmer is, he's indigenous. He's an indigenous actor uh, who's been in things from Pow Wow Highway was one of the earlier movies he did. Smoke Signals is great as well. Pow Wow Highway had A Martinez, isn't it? it, it a Martinez in it. Um, if you want to see like a, you know, a, a film about Native Americans that's not stereotyping them, Smoke Signals is another one too. Yeah, Smoke. Written- I remember that when when that movie came out, I saw that. Um, yeah, and that's another one. It was like it was different. It was like let's not be too preachy and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, again, guys, go check out Reservation Dogs on Hulu. I think season four is coming soon uh, or three, whatever the the newest one will be. But that show is so good. Um, you know, it's all about life on the res and everything, and it's ama- It's like a drama comedy, but it's yeah. amazing how they can go from a deep, dark subject matter like suicide to something funny. And then insert Bigfoot in there somewhere because that's also stuff that they live. And I say they, I don't know firsthand, but from what I understand, uh, Bigfoot, the big guy, is something that is on reservations and that is kind of known amongst various indigenous tribes. Well, I worked on the Pueblo in Taos, New Mexico for uh, a year, a summer, and I became friends with everybody on the Pueblo. Not everybody, but a lot of people and have stayed, continue to stay connected to them. They... They have a sacred mountain. Side note, we have a drone fireworks effect going off oh, in, cool. in the sky right now. It's really <laughs> fucking cool. Yeah. It's that's how we they do fireworks here. 
Uh, it's called a pet-friendly fireworks display. Oh, tomorrow, so they use drones to kind of do it. Yeah, so I can see Zach looking, and I know he's facing, uh, the way he's facing is facing his back window, which is also facing the fucking beach, you motherfucker. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Anyways, uh, when I worked on a Pueblo in Taos, New Mexico, um, no, I have my friends there like, yeah, no, we, there is there is a creature in the woods because there, there's a sacred mountain in Taos, New Mexico called the Blue Mountain. And and only uh, people native to that area are allowed to go there, right? And uh, I was able to go there because I got permission from their tribal chief. But there are areas that they've seen a creature there that they truly believe is is some sort of man-like ape beast thing. Yeah. So there yeah. you go. Yeah. Uh, Gary Farmer, really quickly, he was in Ghost Dog and Dead Man. Yes. He's, he's a really like he's someone who you every time you see him, you're like, I know that guy. Uh, he's a guy that you should see. His, all the movies that he's been in are really, really good. Yeah. And, and we kind of jumped the gun a little bit. But uh, so so Chris tries to peek through the keyhole, uh, but is discovered as the session is ending. Cal makes him promise not to play around his office when he has clients and because the client was a little bit perturbed uh, by the kid being there. But it's OK. Um, but we also see the client is a police officer. Chris then shows Cal some drawings of sad flowers. He says that he and uh, Carmen are going to plant some for mom. Cal says he believes she would like that. Just then, the landlord, Jessica... Well, Huff- I, have to, I have to interrupt you really sure. quick. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Because the way he says it, he's like, Mom, Mom wants me to. And then his dad is like, yeah, she would wanted, she wanted you, she would have wanted you to do that. So his son is talking in the present tense, like his, her spirit is talking to him, basically. Yes, and I picked up on that, and I'm glad you mentioned it. Because at first, I was like, is this going to be a ghost movie? But it's not, and that's, that dialogue now sort of just sits there kind of weirdly, you know, because nothing ever really comes of that. He never refers to his mom again, like, in current terms or, you know, like, now versus in the past. He, moving forward, he'll refer to her, you know, sort of in the past. So I just, I didn't understand this dialogue here. I I feel like it was something that just got dropped that, that maybe... Yeah, it would have meant more, and maybe they just didn't go further with it. That that makes sense. Just then, the landlord, Jessica Halliday, Helen Shaver, comes in and tells the movers to be careful. One of them knocks a cabinet into the stairway stairway wall, and she yells at him. That mover we talked about is played by Gary Farmer. Jessica and Cal make small talk, and you can tell that they're interested in each other. She gives him some numbers to call to get his services turned on and mentions she'll be back to fix the faucet in the the sink herself. Then Jessica says she lost her earring somewhere in the house and asks Cal to keep an eye out for it. (laughs) I'm like, oh, wait, is this just like like how George Costanza left the clock behind in that girl's apartment and then, you know, has needs to have a reason now to go back to see her? That was also the episode with the jingle, the Costanza. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Go check out Corey's podcast, uh, Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast, because it's fantastic. And he and his co-host are do a great job of breaking down every single episode of Seinfeld. Yep. From episode one to the <laughs> shitty ass finale. <laughs> Wild. As she's leaving, Jessica sees she's getting a ticket, a parking ticket for double parking. Cal says he can put in a good word for her downtown. She says if he needs anything, she's just across the street. So she lives in the the row house kind of right across. It's kind of a 
ideal situation for a uh, for a single dad. Yeah, to have a hot landlord right across the street from you. Yeah, I mean, and she's she's really okay. We will get into the fact that she is, uh, you know, a heavy smoker, and her teeth definitely reflect that. Yes. at this time yes. because we hadn't figured out whitening strips for yeah. uh, for teeth yet. But she's beautiful. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, she's 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 stunning. She is stunning. I I, I I'm a big fan of hers in this movie. <laughs> but also too, like the yellow teeth, man. Like we talk about that too. Like there's no more normal looking character actors anymore. Like everyone has veneers. Like all your normal character actors, they're all prepped and ready for their Marvel roles. So they all have six packs. Like there's no fat balding bad tooth character actors anymore no I, I agree look and and she was preparing for her marlboro role with those <laughs> uh, yellow teeth i'm and i'm kind of goofing but at the same time it's more of like that's what smoking does to your teeth yeah. ladies and gentlemen so i appreciate it more because like i'd rather that be shown than fucking boba fett's teeth uh <laughs> yeah. you know yeah Yes. Hey, I've been under a helmet, but look at look at my pearly whites. It's like my chiclet teeth. Fucking giant, fucking horse teeth. Come on, what did Tamora. Tim Morrison do? Like, I I don't get it, man. You go watch Attack of the Clones. He has normal fucking teeth. Or go watch a uh, Once Were Warriors, a fantastic movie. Um, and then now I, he's see, got he's got these giant giant horse teeth. I just go with it. Like we don't know what these actors. Uh, how self-conscious they are at the, you know when the director yells cut and like what are they doing in their personal lives you look at like, someone like Janine Garofalo who looks totally different now and you're like what happened to her I thought she was like this total badass babe who was like took no shit and was female empowerment and like you know screw you to everybody who is trying to conform to make me into this and that and now you look at her like oh man Oof. what happened uh I, I haven't seen her recently she so is she sad, all dude is she all botoxed and everything yeah and uh, you're like what 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 happened no just, just age gracefully helen shaver by the way is aging gracefully yes yes um uh gates mcfadden from uh, the picard series looks fucking Another fantastic one. yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> Cut to Cal and Chris to walking. Back. Sorry, Cam. Sorry. Cam's like, come on, guys. Get out of my movie. Get back to the movie, man. Cut to Cal and Chris walking through Central Park, kind of kicking a soccer ball around and having fun. Uh, we also cut then to Cal at a payphone, um, talking to his lawyer slash friend, Marty, Richard Mazur, about coming to see him at the office. Marty asks if he likes the apartment he set up for Cal, and how about that landlady? So, you know, Marty's, like, taking credit for that. Yeah, Um, I love it. As they're on the phone, it cuts to Marty's office, and we see he's trying to perfect a, like, one of those three-ring magic tricks, like you mentioned earlier, Zach. He's always doing magic. I can't do that. Uh, He asks Cal where he is because he's late for their meeting. Uh, Cut back to Cal in the phone booth watching Chris climb over rocks that people are sitting on. He says they are on their way. Cal asks if it's okay if he brings Chris, and Marty says, sure. And I love how good Marty is with Chris and how much Marty clearly cares about Chris. I love this whole exchange, though. It's so realistic. I miss uh, realistic exchanges of dialogue in films. Mm -hmm. You see it in television now because because they take the time to do that. But movies don't do that as much anymore, where it's like just a normal conversation, normal conversation. There's a lot of moments in this film that are just like slices of life. Yeah. You know, slices of life moments. 
They save that for TV now. They don't do it in movies really anymore. Yeah, and it actually was was this movie wasn't as hard to break down as I thought it was going to be. Um, it actually I think has less pages than them because um, you realize in thrillers you have to like throw in the slice of life stuff you can't just have every second be the plot because then you get desensitized to it so you have to yeah. throw in the slice of life stuff and i'm able to actually trim out the that stuff here you know and trim it down a yeah. little bit in the notes and stuff you know yeah so marty says sure bring the kid loves him cal hangs up the phone as he watches chris go down the other side of the rocks and out of his eye range just then a lady screams and cal yells chris then starts nope. running to the rocks Nope, nope, fuck that. <laughs> Sorry, as a parent now, a days, if I my kids out of eyesight like that, I, I I'm just they're gone. You wouldn't have you wouldn't have even let uh, uh, Bodie get that far, right? Not in Central Park. Yeah. Jesus Christ. He, like you know, and I know exactly where they are because I've been there. And and I'm sure nowadays it's funny because um, Marty makes a comment about New York being different now. Yeah. Right. And and <laughs> it's uh, timely because a lot of these big cities are not like they used to be anymore this is 87 um uh you know we were we were watching vigilante that was like what 81 i believe um or early 80s early 80s so we see the difference just like five years makes um it you know give or take in new york but we also know and I think Jessica says, like, oh, with all the new cops, like, you know, on the street when she's getting her parking ticket, I think this is when the city was really going through that revamp and everything, you know? And, and Ed Koch. I think Ed Koch was the mayor. Yeah. Ex- yep. 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 This is before Giuliani. But yeah. I do believe the, the, the groundwork for, like, getting, a, a you know, an officer on every corner type of thing was, was being laid here. And I think the city in the late 70s and then into the 90s and then, you know, Seinfeld – Seinfeld's going to air in like two years from now, like, you know, and and that's going to portray New York in a certain way, you know? So I think, you know, Vigilante, that was the last time we sort of saw New York in that gritty way. Now we're seeing in this new changed way. So Cal goes running after Chris, Uh, the people on the rocks point and go to the other side to investigate, cut to a tracking shot of the ground. And we see feathers and blood are littering the grass. Chris leans down and picks up a small decorated shell. He's still eating his ice cream. A lady is talking to a police officer, and we see more animal remains, including a headless cat, which I think looks possibly real. Yeah. <laughs> it's be- it's more realistic than that woman's acting because she's pretty bad. <laughs> yes, she's terrible. What, my name? You my, my name? name? <laughs> yeah. My name? It's horrible. It's horrible. It's horrible. She's she, like that is a moment where I'm like, oh, shut up, please. <laughs> be quiet. We see a rock altar with candles and blood. A ritual must have taken place here the night before. Cal pushes his way through the onlookers and finds Chris and leads him away from the scene. As people disperse, we see a man looking worried. He says, Brujeria, which is witchcraft in Spanish. Cal and Chris are walking through New York City on the way to Marty's office, and Chris asks his dad if he believes in God. I believe in a God. Then he asks what's in his hand. Cal, Cal asks what's in Chris's hand. Cal looks at the decorated shell, and Chris says he found it in the park, and then he says it's a wishing shell. Cal asks how he knows that. 
He says, Chris, Chris just says he does. And that's, I think that kind of, maybe they were trying to lay in this thing that Chris had some kind of maybe powers or something. And they, they abandoned that idea because here it seems like, how does he have that knowledge of it's a wishing shell? And then you couple that with the fact that he says, you know, mom wants me to plant these flowers as opposed to mom want, would want me to. So I'm wondering if there was something that they maybe abandoned here. Yeah. They, I, I really think think hello i really think it i think it's i'm thinking with my thinker here it's my it's david irons here right (laughs) no um no i think they you're you hit the nail on the head they abandoned the storyline and they just dropped it versus cutting it out of the movie which they could have just cut those scenes out of the movie or cut those cut that dialogue out and it still would have been okay yeah because the plant thing never really matters and never comes into play and it, yes, it gives an opportunity for a next door neighbor to be uh, coming out oh my clothes <laughs> i didn't even write that down but th- that was so weird i know what you mean um and then this like you could have cut this out i mean we don't really need to know that it's called a wishing shell i mean other people later will refer to it as a wishing shell but we don't need to know how he knows that so that's right there that's probably a, a half a minute or a minute and a half that we could cut out completely going towards the trimming of 10 minutes from this movie. Yeah, I agree, but it did give you, it gave me the opportunity for you to put the song wishing well by Terrence Trent Darby in my head. <laughs> Looking like a man from man. I remember Is that, that song. You know? I know that song. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Cut to Marty coming out of his office to greet Cal and Chris. He runs over and Chris gives him a big hug. He looks back at Cal and asks Chris, who's this bum you're dragging around? (laughs) Marty plops Chris down on his secretary's desk and then does a magic trick. He pulls a piece of gum from behind Chris's ear and gives it to him and says, did your dad ever tell you where to park your gum? On the bedpost for crying out loud. (laughs) I love this. I love he goes, listen, if you got any questions about important stuff like this, you come and ask your lawyer. I mean, he's fucking great with Chris, dude. But it's this so, is so important. Again, so realistic and yeah, and so important, so important because what's going to happen later? Yeah, totally tracks with what's going to happen later on. To to give a reason for his motivation to to, you know, basically fight for his life essentially. Yes. Um, then Marty asks if Chris has ever seen the ring trick, and Chris says twice. Marty laughs and hands him the rings and tells him to, you take them apart then. (laughs) Cal and Marty then go into his office to talk while Chris stays with the secretary. In Marty's office, they discuss a potential lawsuit against the coffee maker company. Cal isn't against the lawsuit per se. He just doesn't want Chris to have to relive the whole ordeal over again. He doesn't want Chris to testify. Marty promises that this won't go to trial, but they have to do it so no one else dies like Lisa. Marty asks Cal if he wants a smoke, but he says he quit. That's also another important thing. Marty says, yeah, I quit at least twice this week already. And as an ex-smoker, I understand that dialogue. (laughs) The secretary brings in coffee for Marty and a creamer. Marty says, I love Chris. You know that. He's a great kid. Tell you the truth, he's not the one I'm worried about, though. Marty pours his creamer but misses the coffee, and Cal just looks at it. You can tell he's a thousand miles away looking at the cream. I mean, come on. You watched your wife get electrocuted and die. In a puddle of milk. Every emotion that he and his son experience in this film moving forward is totally acceptable. It's totally acceptable. Like for 
it just it's totally realistic is what i is what i really mean there was a Dolph Lundgren movie in the late 90s, uh, maybe early 2000s, but I think late 90s. I want to say it was maybe produced by John Woo or something like that. I can't remember, but it was a shitty straight-to-video movie. And Dolph Lundgren's character, like his you know character business, is that he is he has the phobia of the color white, or, or I guess lack of color, but he has the phobia of the color white. And, of course, in the end battle... I think there's I think the the bad guy pours milk all over the floor or something like that but I'm just like watching this movie I'm just fucking terrible and the fact that he's got this phobia against the color white it's just, it's terrible but I'm like I'm just so glad that you know Cal doesn't develop this phobia against creamer of milk. <laughs> like I think he's going to here cuz he's just like staring at it you know Wow I we got to find out what that movie is Yes, I'll figure it out. It's got to be late 90s because I think, uh, yeah, probably right before 2000, but I was still working at the... That's hilarious. Yeah, it was fucking terrible. And Cal says, I'm all right. He's like, Marty's like, that's it? You're all right? You spend your time listening to these cops' problem and you can't talk about your own? Cal sighs and says, it's lonely. I'm trying to pick up the pieces. He looks out at the city and says, it feels really strange being back. And this is when you pointed out that line, Marty says, the city's changed a lot. And you're right. And we've seen it change because we just reviewed Vigilante just a few months ago. We can literally see how much New York has changed at this point. Yeah. Cal says some days he's not sure if it was a good idea bringing Chris here. But in a funny way, it's brought them both closer together. Marty says, if you need anything at all, I'm there before you hang up the phone. And you know what? He's fucking right. Marty has his secretary send in Chris for one last magic act. This is also important. He takes out a handkerchief from his pocket and shows that he has nothing in his hands besides it. Chris comes in and sits on his dad's lap. Marty says, get a load of this. He touches the cigarette to the handkerchief and a big ball of fire shoots out. Cal and Chris jump and then laugh at the spectacle. It's cool. It's cool. Yeah. Richard Majors definitely has magic in his wheelhouse. I think you're right, dude. I think that... I think this is a Richard Mazur thing, you know? Yeah. Major, whatever the hell. Major, Major. I thought it was Major. I think you're right. What Have you heard it somewhere that it's throwing you off? <laughs> I think so. Major. <laughs> Major? Major. I don't know. <laughs> you're going you're gonna to edit this back and you're going to be like, Zach said Major like six times in a row. <laughs> I hear a lot of things when I edit this back. <laughs> I'm sure you do. A lot of them are farts and burps. <laughs> yeah, for both of us. And none of those coming from me just yet. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. It's usually by the end of the episode. Uh, cut to Carla. No, sorry, shit. I wrong name. Cut to Carmen ironing Cal's clean handkerchiefs. Oh, back back in the day, handkerchiefs. I'm glad that's something that we don't really use anymore. It's really gross if you think about it. It is. It really is. I mean, I left something on my bedstand the other night that I quickly disposed of this morning because I was woke up in the middle of the night, my nose whistling. You know, turned out I had a giant like dry booger in my nose, <laughs> and it's put up on my on my bedstand. You know, what you just like picked it and just like put it there? Yeah, because I'm like I don't want to get out of bed. And what are you what are you gonna do? Put throat flick it into the no, ether? You, you don't have kleenexes like near you it's on Kristen's side but not on my side so you couldn't 
lean over and and grab a no, you, left a, a booger? you left a booger you left a booger on the bed. side of your <laughs> yeah i left i put it up on the up on the top <laughs> on the on the headboard the same place that uh richard mazer tells chris where to put the bubble gum right on the exactly <laughs> exactly God, same like, place. put your boogers i mean i got rid of it in the morning i think <sighs> i did i hope i did oh crap <laughs> Well, at least you didn't put them under your desk uh, like Stimpy does with the magic nose goblins. And yeah, and I didn't eat it like a, some disgusting person does. <laughs> God. I wonder if Kristen knows you leave your boogers on your nightstand. No, it's just one time. It was one time. No, it's not, at this point, it's it's your character trait at this point, buddy. <laughs> no, it's, I mean, my I, God, guys and gals, when you get older, <laughs> you're... Your hairs and your body start growing crazy. I want to put a. I want to put a, one of those time lapse cameras on my face because uh, in the middle of the night. Because I'm like, where did the hell this hair come from? Oh. <laughs> I don't even know where to go. Middle of the night here. I'm like what? Oh shit. Oh my god. No, and you're 100 percent right, man. Like I, I'm with you. Like I'll wake up the next day. I'll have like this one white ear hair that's like a foot long growing yeah. out of my ear. I'm like, it wasn't there Curled. yesterday. How did this no. happen overnight? <laughs> and thus ends our old man corner in our booger picking <laughs> corner of podcast after dark. Sorry, uh, it's true. Uh, handkerchiefs, man. Handkerchiefs. As she hears Chris and Cal coming home, she quickly puts one of the handkerchiefs into her purse. Then the others into Cal's clean clothes pile. Cal asks if anyone called while he was out, uh, but she says no. Then she gives him a present that Jessica dropped off as a housewarming gift. It's a beautiful handmade pot, like a ceramic pot. He puts it on a table, almost knocks it over in the hallway in the front door. He's very dismissive of it. He d- doesn't like even pay attention to it. He's like, "Oh, this is nice." Yeah, and because I, I think at this point, even though they're a little flirty, I don't know if his head's really into it just yet. You know? No. And I think that was Martin Sheen almost knocking it over, not Cal. You know, when he places yes. it down. Right. Yeah. Cut to an airport, JFK, LaGuardia. Sure. I. I JFK. Yeah, okay. I'll say JFK. Okay. Uh, And we see Paolo, played by Malik Bowens, is going through customs. His eyes are dark brown. A TSA worker is looking through his suitcase. When the man asks to look through the other bag, Paolo says, no need to look in there. The worker looks up, and Paolo's eyes are now milky. The worker locks eyes with Paolo and allows him to take his things without going through the second bag. You can tell that the TSA guy is sort of under a spell. Yeah. And yeah, I'm with you, man. Very first time I watched it, I was like, is it just bad contacts? I'm like, no. Like, And then, no, his eyes are natural, like the natural color, dark brown yeah. normally. Then sometimes they're milky white, and I think that's when he's influencing people. But also later at a party, they're going to go all white. But I think that's when he just has no control over himself. Totally. Yeah, makes sense. And that's not something I think you pick up right away. You got to rewatch it. Yep. This movie rewards, uh, uh, you know, repeated viewings. Cut to to two characters, uh, Kate and uh, Dennis Maslow. Uh, Kate is played by Elizabeth Wilson, and Dennis is played by Lee Richardson. Uh, Anything jump out for you for Elizabeth Wilson? I mean, she's a legendary actor. She's she's been around since the '60s. Uh, she passed away in 2015 uh, at the age of 94. She's in mainstream stuff, 
like Hyde Park on the Hudson. She played Mrs. Roosevelt, uh, which, you know, that starred Bill Murray and Laura Linney. But she was in The Graduate. She was in uh, 9 to 5. She was in The Addams Family quiz show. Like, Damn. quite a resume. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, you know, Lee Richardson, equally a – he passed away in 99 at the age of 73. Equally a legendary uh, character actor. Uh, was in over 50 movies and television series. 50 movies and television series, including The Exorcist 3, Network, Princey's Princey's Prizzies? It's all I always like him. Is it Princies or Prizzies? Prizzies Honor uh, with uh, Kathleen Turner, Kathleen Turner, and Jack Nicholson, uh, and Robert Loggia, uh, and The Fly Part Two, uh, which I actually think is an underrated sequel to a horror film. Yes, I Uh, like The Fly Part Two. I think it's actually very fucking good. Yeah, and he was on a show called Eddie Dodd, and I'm only bringing that up because it starred Treat Williams. That show is a show we should bring to TV Obscura because it was a very limited series, but it was a great television series, uh, Eddie Dodd, uh, with Treat Williams. Rest in peace to the great Treat Williams. Dude, that's impressive for both of them and yeah by the way uh pz's honor i i i recognize the hell out of that poster i've never actually seen it but i recognize the poster a uh, network great fucking movie yeah yeah i mean like the, these 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 both of these actors starred in like quality hollywood films yeah so they play like i said kate and dennis maslow they're hosting a dinner for cal and chris Dennis is making gumbo, and Kate is always... She's always wearing this, like, cloth on her head, like a scarf on her head. I have these friends that remind me of this couple that have been... Their son, who was my kindergarten student, uh, had taken him to, like, 17 countries up until before the age of five. And he was a... I think he worked for National Geographic at one point, but like they were went everywhere in the world and had all these interesting artifacts in their house and very, very intelligent and very, you know, right brained kind of people. Um, they remind me of that. Yeah, I can see that, dude. I can definitely see that. In the dining room, Chris is showing Kate his wishing shell. She says it's lovely and tells him to show it to Dennis. Dennis says, oh, it's your shell, is it? Chris says, yep. You seem pretty sure about that. It's a beautiful piece of work. He looks kind of shocked and asks Kate if she's seen it. Kate says, yes, with a loaded smile that we are unsure of. I think Kate does the most sly stuff that kind of gives you like, huh, where is she coming from here? You know? Yeah. Certain pieces of dialogue that she says, right? Yep. Yep certain looks that she gives and stuff like that yep dennis looks at the beads on the shell and asks chris what he could make of it maybe a necklace chris says he doesn't know a slight time jump and we see kate dennis cal and chris watching a slideshow this is where you get their backstory together yeah the pic the pictures were taken at an ojai indian reservation kate asks chris if he remembers being there he says it was when he got chief black cloud his his doll Pictures of Lisa start making their way into the slideshow. We see one of her and Kate, and Kate says, my prize pupil. Chris asks, in anthropology? Kate goes on, I always thought one day she'd be teaching me. Cal 
Cal has to get up and leave the room. Kate notices and goes after him. Cal, Cal turns around and he's crying. He says he remembers taking those pictures. It was the last time they were all together. Kate hugs him. Cal asks if Chris seems okay to her. She says he's a remarkable little boy. He thanks her and gives her a kiss on the cheek and the scene fades out. And I think that's important, actually, knowing later, I think it's an important piece of dialogue when Kate says, I think he's a remarkable you know, boy. I think she does revere Chris. You know, I think she yeah. does love Chris. Oh, yeah. They, they have a they treat him really well up until a point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And which is to kind of go back to your question earlier. I don't think that that was planned. I don't think any of it was planned. I think it was just horrible circumstances put them yep. in this path. Agreed. And, Chris and when she says what and when she makes a comment about, uh, you know, her daughter, like showing her the ways or whatever, being a little mentor or whatever. Right. Oh, like so she yeah. said, well, she hoped that one day Lisa was going to teach her, you know. Mm hmm. Yeah. Poss- yeah. Yeah. The ways. Yep. Yeah. Maybe maybe she was going to be groomed to be on the path and it wasn't supposed mm-hmm. to be this way, you know. Right. In Chris's bedroom, Carmen is teaching him a Spanish song as she puts him down for bed. He has Chief Black Cloud in his arms. A little while later, we see her getting ready to leave for the night and by the kitchen sink. She tells Dr. Jamison that everything is cleaned up. They say goodnight, and after Cal leaves the room, we see she takes a glass of water and puts it on the windowsill. She says a prayer, then puts her cross into the water. Bubbles come up from it, then she... Then she takes the cross out of the water, leaves the glass on the window still, and leaves the apartment. Upstairs, Cal is checking on Chris, who's asleep, and he notices that he's holding on to the wishing shell. It's been turned into a necklace. Cal looks at the window sill, and he sees a picture of Lisa there next to a religious candle. Um, AKA, I asked my wife, is there a name for these like that you can buy? Usually, you know, there are these kind of tall, thin candles. Usually, a, a Saint Guadalupe will be on it, yeah. or other something. But Myra, Myra's like, she didn't really have a name. Uh, they're just called Valadoras Religiosa, um, which just means basically a, a religious candlelight, like spiritual candlelight, essentially. I have one with Nicolas Cage on it. <laughs> yeah, they do get made into sort of, you know, tchotchkes and stuff like that. But right. Yeah. Cal then looks out across the street and kind of pervs on Jessica as she's talking on the phone in her bedroom. He puts the wishing shell next to the picture of Lisa. Thankfully, we don't get a lot of weird pervy moments like that. Yeah. No, I noticed that, too, though. And I'm like, but that tracks. I mean, you know. And I mean, she is like, what would you say? Maybe 10, 15 years his younger than him, essentially. Yep. Yep. And she's hot. So, yep. I mean, he's, let's... he's not bad looking either. So, I mean, it's, it, it's not unrealistic, I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> there you go. We cut to Carmen taking the subway home. I guess home, right? I mean, I assume so. Uh, she gets yeah. off. Yeah, because she she works late though, you know she works late. But there's like a scene later where where she's like with still with Chris, and it seems like super late. So yeah, I don't know. Well, how it's late. ten. It's I mean it's I'm maybe midnight 
Okay. Maybe she gets off at midnight. Or she just will stay later if they're going out, and she's also a babysitter for for. Carmen, I'll be right back. I have to go uh, <laughs> Fucking late, but install some pipe. And, <laughs> and, in the, install some pipe in the landlord. <laughs> yes. Uh, did I say that? Mm, I didn't mean that. Uh, she gets off and walks down the street, but starts rushing as she sees a large group of onlookers standing on a curb and watching police, a bunch of police officers entering a building. It looks like uh, an old theater. Yes. We see Lieutenant Sean McTaggart. Uh, what's his nuts? Frank Loja. Frank, Frank Loja. Come on. No, Robert, Robert Loja. Robert Loja. Come on. Uh, Get well, my goddamn name right. What was I thinking? Frank Langella, right? Yeah. Yes, that piece of crap. Is, is Skeletor, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, me, I'm just... Well, have you seen my dance moves in Scarface? They're amazing. <laughs> I'm Robert Loja. I'm Robert Loja. I played a Cuban in Scarface. <laughs> Come on! Well, what about his dance moves in Big, buddy? Yeah, hello? Pull your head out of your ass and acknowledge Robert Loja. <laughs> Frank Loja. <laughs> uh, so we see Sh- Lieutenant Sean McTaggart get out of a car and ask, where is he? Another detective says he's inside. Inside the abandoned theater, we can hear a man yelling off in the distance as McTaggart and other detectives make their way to the main theater. Another detective meets him and says that Lopez called it in. He's behind the screen, but no one can get near him. He asks for McTaggart by name. As they walk towards the stage, we see a dead child is being put into a body bag. There's a ritual altar with candles and trinkets placed all over the stage. You can see the silhouette of Lopez keeping the officers at bay from the other side of the screen. Lopez is saying it wasn't him. McTaggart walks up to the altar and sees the blood and is horrified. He goes behind the screen and sees Lopez holding back like six beat cops with his gun mctaggart asks if he called it in lopez says yes lieutenant mctaggart asks what happened lopez says jesus christ did you see what they did that kid in there mctaggart says he saw what do you know what do you know about it here why don't you give why don't you give me that one what do you know about it what do you know about it i don't want to blow your vocal cords out though so i'm not going to make you do mctaggart all night though I could do McTaggart all night, baby. <laughs> Give me that McTaggart. <laughs> hey, I can't move my arm, but I can move my gun. That's because it's an extension of his dick. McTaggart asks if he called the yeah, okay. I'm Robert Loja. <laughs> uh, Lopez yells, they took my badge. McTaggart asks, who took it, Tom? Lopez is wide-eyed and crazy looking. He says, you don't know what they could do to me. McTaggart tries to calm him down. Tom, you did a... I'll just take it. Tom, you did a good job. Now we're here. You gotta let us have it. We'll go down to the station and make a report. As he gets closer, Lopez pulls out his gun and yells no. He says, you can't stop them. You can't do anything. You don't understand. You don't understand anything. Lopez starts to utter a prayer and gets on his knees and puts his gun to his head and he says, I'll be safe. And I liked how, like, he was so sure in that moment. Like, he wasn't panicked at all. He's just like, I'll be safe. And but they don't really call back this either. Attempted attempted suicide? Yeah, because he doesn't do it anymore after that. Yeah. Uh, McTabbert, McTabbert, McTaggart grabs it and stops Lopez from killing himself. 
The rest of the cops rush him and carry him out. Lopez yells, Bruria, as he's being taken away, which is Spanish for witchcraft. Outside, we see Carmen still watching the scene with all the other onlookers. She sees Lopez being dragged away as he's yelling, I'm a cop. Just then, Carmen feels something behind her and turns around. Paolo is in the crowd watching too. He looks happy. She turns around and looks at him. Then she turns back and says a prayer. When she turns around again, Paolo is gone. Carmen reminds me of the character in so many movies where you're you're thinking this this character is going to have a bigger impact on the finale of the film, but just kind of gets pushed by the wayside. And you're like, oh, but I like that character. Yeah. Uh, it reminds me of Richard Farnsworth in Misery. That he's the sheriff and he gets plugged, you know, three quarters of the way into the movie. And you're like. I thought he was going to save the day and now he's dead. And I didn't like, that's something I didn't like about thrillers back in the day. It's like killing off a cool character. You're like, But I like this guy. I'm with you. I liked Carmen a lot. I'm glad she doesn't die, but it does. Yeah, you guys too. will, you guys will hear it. It does get to the point where she exits the movie and she never even returns. Even in the uh, post-climax denouement, it would have been nice to just see Martin be like, Martin Sheen, uh, Cal, call call Carmen and be like, I just want to say I'm sorry. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, or or have her actually back with the family yeah. again. That would, you know what, that would be even better. Like, actually having her there with him at the end and being, yeah, I, I'm with you there, man. I actually am 100% with you on, on that one. I would have liked to have seen Carmen come back because – her character i love the actress who's playing the character she's great and the character means well the entire movie yeah totally cut to chris waking up screaming from a nightmare cal runs into the room to comfort him he picks him up and takes him into his room the next day chris and chief black cloud are in cal's bed next to him the phone rings waking cal up it's lieutenant mctaggart on the other end he said he got cal's number from the psych services He's at Bellevue, and he has an officer that's in a lot of trouble. Cal says he'll be there in 20 minutes. And it's like it's on it's on a Sunday, and he's like, I'm sorry you know, for turning your Sunday into this. But I like you get the sense here. This t- informs us that Cal's character, like he, he believes in what he's doing. You know, like he, he doesn't, you know, it's not a nine to five job to him. He believes in helping other people. So he's like, I'll be there in 20 minutes. He doesn't even like yeah. argue it. No. Cut to Cal talking to Officer Tom Lopez in Bellevue. I understand you were working undercover on the disappearance of some kids in Spanish Harlem. Is that right? Lopez is strapped to a wheelchair but has something in his hand he is fidgeting with. Tom asks Cal if he's Catholic. Yes, I am. I'm not a practicing Catholic. Tom looks at him and says, They know who I am. Cal asks who they are. But Lopez doesn't trust Cal enough to tell him. Tom goes on, the spirits help him. They walk through the walls. Don't forget that. Cal says he won't. Tom gets frustrated for a second, then calms down. They knew I was on to them. I walked in and they were waiting for me. Cal asks if he can identify them. No, when I came to, I found the body. He starts yelling, they got my shield. Don't you get it? Cal says, yes. They're going to kill me. I can feel it started already. You're doing like a uh, Eric Roberts from Pope of Greenwich Village. <laughs> Damn it. Damn it. And no, it's great. <laughs> it's terrible. It's great. I'm no, terrible. I love it. Keep, keep you, going. You're the one. You're the good one with the voices, man. <laughs> this, is, this is gold. Cal says that no one can harm him in the hospital. Lopez says, 
God can't save you. The church, the church can't save you. We now see that he has another wishing shell in his hand. They get right inside your body. You can't stop them. Seven powers. You think you can stop them? You think science can stop them? Tom starts freaking out and Cal holds his hand. The eyes. I saw his eyes. Of course, talking about uh, Apollo. Cal asks whose eyes. But Tom just whimpers and says, They can get to anyone. They can kill anybody. You want them to know who you are? Cal looks at him with concern. Cut to Cal talking to McTaggart about Tom. McTaggart asks if he'll come out of it, but Cal says he needs more time with Lopez. McTaggart says he was one of the, his best guys. Cal suggests he should see the victim, maybe get some insight into Lopez. They walk by the kid's parents, and McTaggart casually points them out. They look upset, but not too upset. Agreed. In the morgue, Cal is horrified by what he sees. And yeah, like, Zach, to your point, like, the the parents of that first kid that gets killed, you see them multiple times later, and it it kind of informs a rewatch of how they behave and everything. Yeah, yeah, totally. You know, and I gotta say, I'm never a big fan, kind of like with, like, kid actors, but I'm also never a big fan of people freaking out in movies. I don't ever think it's that realistic. Jimmy Smith's on the other hand, I think does a damn good job. Yeah, he's he's good, you know. He's 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 got a Sorry, that she's like chewing on a bone or something behind me. Oh, it's okay. Hear that. <laughs> Fozzie. <laughs> oh, Jesus. She's like she always wants to be near me when I'm recording too. Um which I love, but at the same time, it doesn't make for the most optimal recording ex- experience. Uh, no, he's great. He's just a really great actor, and I love seeing guys that you know become a bigger deal uh, later on in their career in in a smaller roles. He was great in Running Scared. One of the highlights of Running Scared. One of the highlights of Running Scared is his character, and um, oh gosh, uh, John. John Grease from you know uh, yeah. Napoleon Dynamite and Real Genius yep. and, and then, Terrorvision, um, yep, and then of course um, uh, the other guy uh, Stephen Bauer uh, who who was in Scarface as well, but they they were the highlights. The low light I think was Billy Crystal. <laughs> I'm not the biggest Billy Crystal fan. Gregory Hines on the other hand I love love me some Gregory Hines. Rest in peace to that guy. He's a legend. Big rips. Cut to a bar, and McTaggart is doing a shot. The bartender is the worst actor on the planet and makes you wonder if it's like – it's not the director because you can see a picture of the director. I don't know why they chose this this uh, bartender, but he's terrible. Uh, he's probably married to the woman in the Central Park who was terrible too. <laughs> there you or go. brother and sister. They're both trash. Like, yeah. Get, no, they could have got somebody so much better. But Morgan you saw, Freeman. You notice Morgan it too, Freeman. right, because he makes a joke and then – he kind of has this weird look on his face, you know, when he gets reprimanded for the joke. Terrible. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. Like Morgan Freeman sitting at home going, and why the hell did I not get a part until 1989? Right? Know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> seriously. Seriously. The bartender asks if he's been down to the freezer again. McTaggart doesn't appreciate the attempt at comedy and tells the bartender to pour him another one. And, that, yeah, that's when the bartender makes this weird face, like, oh, boop, boop. You know, it's, just, it's terrible. It's fucking, it took, yeah. me, out of the, it took me out of it for, like, one second. Right. 
Cal saddles up next to McTaggart, but just orders coffee. The lieutenant asks Cal, so did we treat cops for alcohol abuse back in Milwaukee? Cal corrects him, Minneapolis. McTaggart asks what brought him to New York. Cal says he went to graduate school at Columbia. Cal asks what Lopez had on all this. McTaggart says nada, nothing. Cal asks to see the report, but McTaggart says he can't. It's not available. Just then, two beat cops walk into the bar and says, Hope you're off duty, Lieutenant. McTaggart tells him to fuck off. <laughs> McTaggart tells a few people to fuck off in this movie. Right. Cal asks if Lopez is Catholic. McTaggart says, sure, the family's Cuban. They practice a thing called Santeria. Ever hear of it? Cal says, no. The detective goes on. And this is obviously very important. It's a Latin thing. A lot of them are into it. They cut up chickens, magic, shit like that. Cal asks if Lopez was into that. McTaggart says he kept quiet about it. Cal says, he says he found the body on an altar with a lot of religious paraphernalia, right? Cop says, there's at least 200 places that sell that shit. Cal cuts him off and says, wait a second, please. I'm evaluating a patient. I call that a pretty strong lead, wouldn't you? McTaggart shrugs and says, a citizen has the right to his own religious preferences. That's the First Amendment. Cal cuts him off and says, if the citizen performs a human sacrifice, I'd say that forfeits the right. The cop thinks it was a psycho killing made to look religious. Cal doesn't agree. That kid was cut up with the precision of a surgeon, not a psychopath. What are you afraid of? That Lopez is a suspect? That it's one of yours? That it's one of your own? It's not this religion, is it? McTaggart leans in and says, I don't call cutting up chickens as a religion. Maybe if you spend as much time in the barrio as I have, you wouldn't ask so many dumb questions. Cal says that's bullshit. Just one last question. Is this all the assistance I'm going to get trying to help this officer? Think about it. Then Cal leaves the bar. Speaks also to uh, the way we perceive religion in this country. You know, uh, oh, if it's religion is one thing, it's God and Jesus Christ. Yeah, a lot of people believe in this country that there's a freedom of religion just as long as that religion is basically Catholicism or Christianity, essentially. Yep. The white man's religion. Yep, yep. Yeah, no, I, I find this movie kind of timely, kind of interesting with all the stuff that's going on now as we see this, you know, Christian fascism rising and everything. And you just realize, like, man, all religions, like, they all have their thing, man. And, like, and I, I'm, I'm, in, I'm with McTaggart. Like, everybody's got their right to practice wherever the fuck they want to practice. No one forced their shit on me. I'm not going to force my shit on them. But, unfortunately, right. it's not the way things are going right now. Yep. Maybe if Santeria was the main thing in this country, we'd be all better off. If we all had Santeria, ain't <laughs> got no crystal ball. <laughs> I hate Sublime, FYI. So do I. I'm sorry. Yeah. I never liked Sublime. Nope. I've never gotten it. It was never my thing. Dude. I'm just And I love people like, oh, my God, they're, really, they're amazing. Like, are they really? Uh, if they were, wouldn't I have heard another fucking song on the radio by them no no i just was never a fan of that that genre of music that kind of white boy reggae ska kind of style yeah 
No, I can see it, man. I, I'm, I, yeah, not, not even. What is, what would you put 311 as? What would you call 311? I kind of lump them in the same category, like white boy reggae ska, like not ska, but like white boy reggae. Uh, I mean, they were kind of a punk band when they first came out. They were like a skater. A lot, a lot of skaters love Sublime and 311 yeah, and Incubus and, uh, Oh God. Yeah. I just, that was never my, I, I, I toe dipped every now and then, but was never a huge, that, that's not stuff. That's, that's not stuff I listen to on a regular basis anymore. No, People, but I always associated sublime with white chicks at parties, drinking beer <laughs> underage. I mean, here it comes. This is the best song. Shut up. Stay, shut up. Be quiet. Just, shut, shut up, up. Stacy. <laughs> just, just go, go over to, uh, go huff off the, uh, of the, uh, off the nitrous oxide tank that the parents <laughs> bought them for the night. Jesus Christ, man. Jesus Christ. I hate high school. I hate rich people high school. God. I never went to parties like that in high school, man. I'm not going to lie to I you. I kind of... <laughs> I kind of just hung around with my 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 nerd friends. We all just watched nerdy movies. But uh, see, I would have much rather done that. But then my friends were like, "It was like super bad." We're like, "We should go to one of these parties sometime." You know, we should be like, "We we should be a part of that." And then we did. And I'm like, "This sucks. This sucks." I, I never be at home watching movies right now. I never went to a single party in high school that was like, that was like a party in high school in the movies. Yeah, I know. I oh god, I hate <laughs> high school. <laughs> So thankful that my son hopefully will never have to endure that shit. <laughs> uh, trauma for both of us. I'm telling you, man. Like, it's – we don't – oh, Yvay, that's a whole – listen to Podcasting After Dark's wrap-up After Dark at the end of this month. We may bring up some of these stories on the uh, on the show. <laughs> If you're not a Patreon subscriber, consider becoming one like Cam Sully did at the highest tier as we're breaking his movie down as we speak. Yes. Yes. We've we've only gone on 30 tangents so far. <laughs> <laughs> we've only made it 15 minutes into the movie. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of true, actually. I know. I know. Uh... Hey, everybody. Corey here. I just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. I'm John, and I'm the host of Action Action. Every week, I'm joined by James. hey And Dustin. Hello. And each week, we review, debate, and rank a different action movie. We're creating the ultimate list of action movies. From awful to awesome. So if you want to hear three more white guys with beards talk about action movies. And argue about where they belong on our list. And decide you hate us because we made fun of your favorite movie. Join us every Tuesday, and you can find us on your favorite podcatcher. And Steven Seagal is a joke. (laughs) Have you been wondering where's the beef? Well, on our podcast, Throwback Trivia Takedown, you might just find that out, as well as some other things about the 70s, 80s, and 90s. We're a nostalgic-based trivia show that pits two challengers head-to-head in a duel of the decades, with categories ranging from movies, TV and music, to slang, food, and fashion, you're sure to get the best in retro-themed trivia. So strap on your jelly shoes, grab a surge, and walk like an Egyptian to your favorite podcast app and check out Throwback Trivia Takedown. I heard even Mikey likes it. And now, back to the show. 
Cut to Cal in his office <laughs> looking at books on Santeria and magic. It's raining heavily and outside. And this is when there was a weird scene of like their next door neighbor running to grab his shirts or something. He's like, ah. he runs out and he goes, well, so, so the movie that, that uh, uh, to cut you off, the, yeah. the, the, the scene opens with Chris's, um, shrine to his mom in the garden, you know, to mommy love Chris or whatever. And the ink on the, on the little label is, uh, fading away from the rain. The rain is like washing it away. And then randomly you see like a overhead shot of their next door neighbor, run outside and go my shirts like that. <laughs> and then grabs his shirts and like, f- kind of like dain- daintily runs back into his place. It is a very flamboyant character for no apparent reason. No, I mean, and, and, and I mean, I cut all of that, but I mean, I shouldn't have, cause it was worth noting, but yeah, it's like, it had nothing to do with anything. And yet here it is in the movie, but I guess it co- goes to what you were saying earlier, how a lot of this movie kind of shows slice of life stuff and everything. Um, but yeah, it was such a weird. And again, add this to the make just 15 seconds, trim this 15 seconds right yeah. here and just start, just start the scene. Like I say it with Cal reading the books. Yeah. Cause the thing is that planting of the, the, the stuff for his mom it doesn't come into play like at all. It doesn't. This is the last time it gets brought up after that. Right. And it's kind of like, you know, he's going to focus on Jessica in a bit, not being his mom and nothing really is going to come back around to like him talking about his mom after that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And and I did want to point out one more thing. I, I meant to bring it up earlier. Um, all the pictures of, of Chris's mom are like her headshots from uh you know casting agencies yeah. <laughs> and and it's funny because when you go across the street to you know when uh, Helen Shaver's character later on she has like obvious headshot photos yep. in her place too yep. on her wall of herself it's just so funny cuz that was like such a common thing back then to just you know use the headshot as the the, the candid photo my favorite thing in a movie is when they show the the character as a kid and they actually use like real life, the the actor's kid photos. Same, I like that. Yeah, I like that. But but I did notice, and like they're like in black and white too, so you know they're like black and white headshots. Like they didn't even like bother no. taking new pictures for the for the movie. They were just like, there's just, no picture. Just give of... us your headshots. Just give us your headshots. We'll turn those into pictures. It'll be fine. Why didn't they just take a picture of her with Chris? Yeah, like hugging the, hugging each other or a family photo on his wall. Yeah, but no, it's like headshots. It's it's yeah. headshots. <laughs> it really is, guys. It is. Side, side note, tangent. I just finished watching Blackbird on Apple TV, which is really good. That's a serial killer show with the the dude. He was uh, he's in Cobra Kai with the the heavy set guy with the uh, the long beard oh uh, uh starburns or face beard face star the funny guy right like the yeah. bad he was on the bad guys but now you know he's kind of the, the goofy guy yeah. yeah he he's really and he's amazing in this and then taylor taron egerton is yep. the uh is who looks like a young young jim uh like he looks like a young james con by the way he's badass in this have you uh, ever seen i tanya Yes. Oh, yeah. He, he they was, both were he in was that. the bodyguard. The guy, the guy from Cobra Kai, was the bodyguard who broke, you know, did the thing. That's like, right. He, he was great, and I Tanya was a fantastic movie. I love that I, movie. Yeah, he was great in that, and then I think he was in that that movie with uh, that Spike Lee film where the the undercover cop goes undercover as a Ku Klux Klan mm. member. Yeah, the, which uh, the was black, really good. 
Yeah, what's it called? The Black Ku Klux Klan guy or something like that? Yeah, I know. Black you... Black Klansman. I yeah, think. Black Klansman. Yep, yep. That it's... movie's really good too. By the way. I yeah, that's it's been on my watch list for a while too. I heard it's really good. Yeah. Um, it's one of those drama comedies, but yet it's still based on a true sort of story and shit. Yeah, it's got a great finale. It's very satisfying. I, I want to see that saying. one. I want to see yeah. that one, dude. Anyways, back to Cam Sully's breakdown. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this with Cam. Cam's yeah. like, guys, this is the best episode ever. <laughs> and, of course, <laughs> go check out the Jacked Up Review Show podcast, guys and gals. Right, yes. So Cal is uh, looking through books on Santeria and magic. It's raining heavily outside. We can hear Cal's voice over while he's looking through them. Santeria is a thousand years older than Christianity, brought by slaves to the Caribbean. Their African gods are hidden in Catholic saints. I think that's interesting. I don't know anything more about Santeria than what this movie tells me. So I don't know how accurate this is and whatnot, but, you know. I only know from Sublime. Yeah. Sublime Sublime and this. That's all I know about Santeria. Stacy, go back. Go home, Stacy. (laughs) The lights flicker and go out for a second. Then they come. When we come back to Cal, he looks at his notebook and sees that he wrote Jessica's name a few times without realizing it. He grabs a watch and looks at it. Cut to Cal standing by a shelf looking at the pot Jessica gave him. He puts the watch in his pocket and lights up a cigarette. He looks at himself in the mirror in shock of what he just did and puts the cancer stick out. Because remember, he said he quit earlier, but he's going to start smoking pretty heavily throughout the film now, you know? Cut back to Is it okay if I start smoking now? Is that okay? Mm, I already sound like I have a tra- uh, tra- tracheotomy. Box in my throat. Tracheotomy. <laughs> well, their, their yellow teeth will go well together. Cut back to Bellevue, and we see the lights and power go out. A guard walks into Tom's room and is jumped from behind and subdued by the incarcerated officer. We see Cal grab a flashlight and run across the street in pouring rain to Jessica's house, where she's working on her pottery by candlelight. She hears a knock at the door and looks through the peephole to see Cal holding her watch up. Jessica opens the door and smiles. Cal hands her her watch. He's soaked from head to toe. You must have left it when you were painting the other day. He grabs her cigarettes and hands them to her. You forgot these two. Sorry, they're a little soggy. You forgot these two. Sorry, they're a little soggy. (laughs) Cal says he he still can't find her earring, but Jessica invites him in. It's cool that they bring that up again. Yep, and the earring will come into play. Meanwhile, I'm like, she invites him in, and then I was kind of, because it had been such a long time since I'd seen this movie, I forgot about this moment that you're about to talk to or talk about. Um, I'm like, oh, is that all it took? Is that all it took? Well, cause, cause it, it, I actually like, so when she says, would you like to come in? When someone asks me that question, just in general, my response is, yeah, sure. You know, he says, yes. And it's like, it is such a moment of like, it's just his delivery is so good because it, it means so much more. Yeah, sure. is casual. Yes, it's like very, like, I need this. Mm-hmm. That's actually a great and very astute analysis, my friend. Um, I appreciate that one. Because, yeah, he, he does give do good it astute. like, it's like, yes. Like, it's it's a very direct response. No, there's no hidden meaning to it, you know? Yeah. 
back at Cal's house. And when I say house, it's like a row house. You guys know. Um, Carmen lights uh, the, one of those religious candles in Chris's room. And then this was uh, this one. I was like, so does she stay? Like, how late does she stay? Because like, I can't tell if it's later than the previous night when she left. To, you know, left to go home. I just I, I don't know how late she's supposed to be staying here. I mean, what else kind of life does she have? What else does she have going on in her life? <laughs> she's only got Chris and Cal, man. Yeah, because we don't see, we don't even see like her own personal home. Like we don't see her family or anything like that. I almost think it would have been easier story wise to just make her have be like a live in nanny, you know? Doesn't what is the line when later on when he, she starts breaking all her shit? What does she say? You're ruining my life or something like oh, that to him? Yeah she, yeah, she does say I have it written down. I can't remember offhand, but she's like something like you're killing me or something like that. Um, and and, but her and the way like she his, yeah. the way she shrieks when he destroys that idol, I I felt it. Like I felt it in my gut, you know. I feel like maybe this is all she lives for. It's possible, yeah. So she lights a candle, you know, uh, uh, for in Chris's room. She looks at him, and he's asleep with his wishing shell. She takes it out of his hand and looks at it with worry. Back in Jessica's room, Cal and her are in bed talking, post-coitus. She looks at him and asks how long it's been. I like this dialogue a lot. Cal says about nine months. Jessica asks, would she approve? Cal says, I approve, and then kisses her on the forehead. Jessica says that she went a whole year after her divorce, then gives Cal a big drag of her cigarette. He asks, when was that? Jessica says, about a year ago, but who's counting? They lay back in bed with his head on her chest, and we get a nice little boop shot, which is, I don't know if it was planned, but I was like, oh, that's okay. A little boop, boop, boop shot for a second. Hey, look at that. Uh, hey, what are they drinking? Is it a bottle of water? Like, is it is it a glass bottle of water or is it a 40 ounce? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I I'm like, because, you know, they have those glass bottles. It's like mo- Mountain Spring or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Right. I, and I'm like, is it that or is it a 40 ounce? Mm-hmm. Because either way, either one, it works for me. <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be fine if it was a 40 ounce. Um, he says, yes, yeah, get, yes, get back to yeah, <laughs> that would track with fucking that would track with Sublime. Where's my Mickey? Yeah, hey, seriously. I'm a high school girl. And I'm a high school guy trying to be cool with my Mickey's. <laughs> I remember drinking in high school, fucking like cool, what a you know wine coolers or whatever. And then Zima. yeah, dude. I mean, I didn't. I didn't drink until I was 21. But 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 I remember like Mickey's was like Mickey's was the thing that everybody in my high school would talk about. Yeah. How cool it was to drink Mickey's out of a bag. Yeah, you know, I I had a handful of drinks when I was, like, before 21, but it was nothing too notable because um, I never had a fake ID or anything. So I, I'd say I really didn't drink until I was about 21. Yeah. And yeah, then me too. I drank, like, a Guinness, and I was like, oh, God, this is terrible. Like, my first beer when I was 21 was a Guinness. I was like, oh, God, this is terrible. But now it's, oh, like, my favorite beer. But There you go. There you go. Cut to the next day, and Chris is in his room looking for something. Downstairs, Cal, Kate, Jessica, and Carmen are all in the kitchen. Cal yells to Chris to hurry up. They'll miss the show. Cal pours Kate and Jessica more wine, and Jessica says she hasn't been to the planetarium since she was a little girl. Cal asks her to join them. He seems to be smoking again, and Kate smiles at their flirting, but the smile slowly drops. Yep. You gotta figure, Kate's not... At first, first, first viewing, I, I kind of missed the connection, and I was like, "Are Kate and Dennis?" 
I didn't think they were Cal's parents, but I like I was like, are they, you know, Lisa's parents or something? Yeah. But no, I think they're just she was just her 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 advisor. She was her mentor, you know. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. Um but they have like a almost like a mother Yeah. the father relationship to her. Yeah. Yep. And here's the thing. Uh back when I lived in LA, I dated a young lady who was in grad school. Um for for many years and the relationship between the mentor like in grad school i'm not talking college i'm talking grad school the relationship between the mentor and the student is very strong and and a lot of times they will stay in their life for the rest of their life essentially because and they don't take on like 50 kids or i mean they only have like five people that they're mentoring at at a time you know so it's a very small amount yeah no I, i totally get it and I think this relationship, like the fact that, like, even though Lisa's dead, the fact that Cal and Chris still have a relationship with Kate and Dennis, I think it's important. You know, I don't think Cal would, but he th- he knows it's important for Chris. And I also appreciate that uh, his relationship, you know, he calls Cal calls his son uh, Bean, yeah. which I think is really sweet. It's a nice it's like it's, he calls him sweetheart at one point. Like you, you get the scent, you get that real affectionate relationship they have. And when he yells up to Chris, it, it is like in a it, it's not in a harsh way. It's like in a sensitive way, but it's going to turn dark in a minute. I'd say all the things that Martin Sheen, like the way he's acting, you can tell that he the actor is a father because he knows how to properly emote in these in these moments. Oh, I had that the moment when he's in bed with Chris uh, after Chris has his nightmare like been there with my son and myself, you know, yeah. and, and I totally relate to it. I don't, but then when things move forward, what's about to happen, I don't relate to. Well, I will be curious to find out what your reaction would be if, if, if Bodie ran into traffic and almost died. Um, but let, let's, let's talk about that when we, when we get there, cause there's still some Jesus interesting Christ. stuff here. Um, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't mean it that harshly, but you know what I mean? No, I know. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Chris comes running down the stairs uh, looking for his wishing shell. He looks in containers around the kitchen. Cal says he doesn't know, you know, where it is. Then Chris points at Jessica and says, did she take it? Then he kind of runs out of the room. Cal yells at Chris, but the boy runs into the living room. And I love this. He looks at the pot for a second. Then he knocks it over. And it's the pot that, you know, she made and everything. And he shatters it on the floor. Um, we, for a split second, we see one of Cal's handkerchiefs was in the pot. Cal kind of reprimands Chris as he goes running to his room. Kate says she'll go check on him. Carmen tries to clean up the mess and and hide the handkerchief, but Cal sees it and takes it from her. Inside the hanky, because Cal says, is that my hanky? If you have a handkerchief and you call it a hanky, I will smack you in the face. No man should ever call a handkerchief a hanky. You might be a little bitch if you call your <laughs> handkerchief a hanky. Uh, and inside the handkerchief, he finds Jessica's missing earring. Carmen speaks Spanish kind of frantically, but Jessica translates. She says Carmen did it, but th- it isn't bad. It's like what she did is not bad. She says it's like she's like a matchmaker. She cast a love spell on them. Jessica and I like how see, this is already kind of sweet. Jessica and Cal kind of smile at each other, you know, because, you know, they're falling in love. Um, so Carmen's not going to really get in trouble for this one. Just then the phone rings. It's Lieutenant McTaggart. He asks if Tom Lopez has tried to call. Uh, Cal says, no. Why? 
The detective says that Lopez took a hike from Bellevue last night. Also, they have another dead kid like the one in the abandoned theater. This one is down by the piers. So before we leave the scene, I just want to say that I think Chris's reaction was very realistic. Like he doesn't want this lady to replace his mom or whatever. Um, but I also like how it spins by the end, you know, like how it spins and it almost goes like a 180. Well, it's only been a year. It's been it, like what? Nine months. He said, it's or only been not. Yeah. It's only been nine months since your mom, since you watched your mom get electrocuted and die. So in clearly front, there's trauma going in front of your eyes. Yes. And there's nothing you could do about it. And so his, his trauma and his anger are all, uh, like, I feel like it's all acceptable. Yeah. The way it's presented. Yeah. And, and Cal's reaction initially, like his kind of rage that comes out of nowhere, like he gets really rage filled. Um, that's clear of somebody who hasn't dealt with their own trauma. So we all know people like that and who you don't, you compartmentalize and then it just comes out in this, in this horrific way. And it's only going to get worse with their relationship. So from a dramatic standpoint, this film is very accurate. Like yeah. you're like, yeah, I think that's all. It, it's not obviously the healthy way to deal with it in the way he like shakes Chris when he's like, you did this on purpose. You know, there's like screaming at him practically uh, like angry at him. You know, it, it all makes sense. Doesn't make it right, but it all makes sense. Yeah. Agreed. Completely agreed. Cut to a barge by the pier. Cops are looking around, getting evidence. We see a severed goat's head floating in the water. Cal meets up with McTaggart, and he tells him it's another kid around 8 or 10 years old. He's been dead for a couple days. They climb down into the barge, and there's another altar set up, and the dead kid is lying on it. Cal looks at the body, and the kid's stomach has been cut open. But you can also see the kid actor breathing for a second, too. It happens. So he's still alive, and they think he's dead. That's fucked up. <laughs> That's fucked up. <laughs> Back topside, Cal looks like he's going to throw up. Yes, McTaggart, how you ever get used to it? You don't. Now maybe you know why a lot of cops hit the bottle. He says, listen, Doc, newspapers find out some psycho cop is doing this. My job gets tougher and shittier than it is. He asks Cal to not tell anyone about this. Cal looks mad and says, Psycho cop? You don't think he did it? McTaggart shoots back, I don't know he didn't. Then he asks again if Lopez called him. Cal says no. Weird fucking city you moved into, Doc. Cut to Paulo doing a ritual in his hotel room involving snakes and Tom Lopez's police badge. We see Tom get out of an abandoned car and walk through the city. At the same time, Cal is trying to track down Oscar Cezine, the guy who wrote the book Santeria in Practice. He is at a bodega, but it's closed. He knocks on the gate and asks the guy inside if they can talk. The man recognizes the book and tells Cal they're closed. Cal pleads, but the man walks away and turns off the lights. Did you notice that when he turned off the lights, he disappears? Like, like you can tell that you would still see the actor there. Like, it's not perfectly dark. It's just, you know, in shadow. But they make it so that he literally vanishes when he turns off the lights. Yeah, it's creepy. It is. It is. But that kind of doesn't really come back into play of any way. 
no, it doesn't. And then like the relationship that he, he clearly knows what the antagonists are doing later on in the movie. Like he knows, and he's still kind of abetting it. Like he's, uh, he's going along with it, but then he assists Cal. Like we'll get all all that later, but I'm like, but I don't know. This is this character is like kind of wonky to me. I have questions about the party scene, and when we get there, I'm going to ask. Yeah. I'm going to pick your brain on on that, and and yeah. see what you think. And I, I, I agree because it also too. It's like here, it's like he seems to be the kind of guy because you'll find out in a little bit that he's the kind of guy that wants to help people. Uh, this Oscar, but then why did he run away from Cal right here? It doesn't quite. It almost makes you think that this there was a two and a half hour movie that was trimmed down. And yeah. some of these pieces, like maybe maybe Chris somehow being clairvoyant and talking to his mom was a part of that. You know what I mean? And they just sort of cut it. Kind of like how there was the, um, uh, you know, famously in The Crow, there's the, the, dead, um, uh, the dead cowboy that was sort of guiding him. And they just completely yeah. cut all those scenes from the movie and everything. Yeah. Which we'll never see. Yeah, because I don't think they were ever really filmed and processed. I think they had a couple shots of the dead cowboy, but and I think um, Berryman played, uh, you know, from Hills Have Eyes, the original. Yeah, I think he I think played he the the dead cowboy. And yet we'll release the twelve-hour uh, version of Cabal Cut. <laughs> but where's our full uncut version of the Crow? Fuck. Regard. Where's our four K version of the Crow? I bet that movie's gonna look gorgeous in four K. Come on, Kino, get on that shit. <laughs> Ooh, I got my um my 4K uh, uh, National Lampoon's Vacation should be actually coming tomorrow, and my Arrow box set uh, with dolls and robot jocks should be coming. I think the day after that. Mine got delayed till next week, but hopefully, yeah, it should be coming soon too. Did you order through Amazon or another Amazon? Okay, yeah, me. Oh, me too. You, I didn't. You just got delayed. Yeah, till like July fifth. Oh no shit. Okay, all right. I'm glad you picked. Oh, I'm glad you ordered it though. I mean, the fucking the price of that box set is just the same price as you would pay for dolls. The the Shaw Factory dolls on Blu-ray on HBO on on eBay anyways. So I think. Well, I think the the and I got it when the price dropped by like thirty or forty bucks. Mm. So. Uh, oh, I robot jocks, buddy! Oh my god, so many great. Yeah, it's great. It's great. It's great. It's great. It's, it's great. great. It's fucking great. It's great. Cal comes home to find Carmen vacuuming the row house. He walks into his son's bedroom and sees multiple candles and religious iconography around the picture of Lisa on the windowsill. So she's kind of made a shrine and everything, which Myra and I have in our apartment. Uh, we have like a shrine with candles and stuff and pictures of all of our loved ones, like my father have passed away and everything. It's not it's not uncommon in, uh, in, in you know, Latin, you know, practices and things like that. Yeah, shrine. Yeah. yeah. Cal, not understanding, grabs all the items and takes them to Carmen. He, as he's walking out of the room, we see there's more items under Chris's bed, but Cal doesn't notice them. Cal shows Carmen the items and asks what they are. She says they are to bless him. She's trying to help Chris. Cal says, sometimes these things are used in rituals, aren't they? See? Sometimes these rituals involve animal sacrifices, don't they? Carmen says, sometimes. What is this circle of ash for? Carmen says she doesn't know what that is. It's not part of Santeria? No. Because he's he's asking questions also about the crime scene as well as what he has in his hands. So he's kind of asking sort of two questions at the same time. 
He's asking why people listen to Sublime too. <laughs> <laughs> I got no beef with you digging on Sublime. You know, there's people listening going, "I love Sublime." Well, you know what? If you love Sublime, tell us your favorite song. I want to know what someone's favorite fucking Sublime song. I think don't have it be the one that's on the fucking radio, like the one that I've heard a thousand times. Tell me what your favorite song is. I, Corey, will go listen to it and report back. Okay. Well, they, had, they had that other song too. That. Dun, 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 yeah, dun, I don't want either. Dun, dun. I don't want. No. You, you can't be. You tell me what your favorite Sublime song is, and can't be the fucking two that they've played at nausea on the yeah. radio. And I promise you, Corey, <laughs> I will go and listen to it. Okay. But you got to hey, be a Sublime got, fan. Zach, I, look, Zach's like, I'm I will first, not go listen to it. <laughs> I will not go listen to it. I will not. But I, I'm the first person to say, if you like something uh, that other people don't like, it doesn't matter what other people. It doesn't matter whether other people like it or not. If you like it, it's all good. I'm just saying, for me, I'm not a fan. Yeah, kind of like how I love The Last Jedi and everyone else hates it. So I like The Last Jedi. Hey, I'm proud of you, buddy. I'm proud of. I I feel like people hate on things too much. I'm not. I'm hating on the on the on the insane. I'm not a fan of like super popular stuff. Yeah. And growing up in the Bay Area. For some reason, Sublime was like that was the that Sublime and um, well, Sublime was a well, Sublime and Three Eleven were I think L.A. based like beach bands, right? Like Venice I, Beach type bands. Yeah, they? and I tapped out on Three Eleven after their first album. I like Three Eleven's first record, which is more uh, punk based, mm. but, but then you know, whatever. Oh, it's just it's like commercial shit. I'm not I'm not into commercial stuff. <laughs> That's why we have a cult movie podcast. And if you also listen to $2 Late Fee, you'll know that uh, Zach and Dustin talk about some non-commercial stuff as well over there. As, wait till we, we, as well we as some... uh, wrestling. Go check out uh, Territory Marks as well. I love that show. Thanks, uh, dude. I'm all caught up, so I'm, I'm anxiously waiting for the next episode. Well, by the time this drops, we just, well, I can talk about that in the end. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Be my guest. That's my ape. My That's my apone. <laughs> Cal, Cal goes on. All right, now, listen to me. If I find this kind of stuff around here again, I'll have to let you go. Is that clear? Carmen pushes back and says it's for protection. Cal says it's a lot of superstitious nonsense. He throws the items in the trash, but asks her first if she wants any of them. She declines. I do like how he's like, I'm just going to throw it away. Do you want any of this? No? Okay, cool. And that's kind yeah. of like I felt like that was kind of realistic dialogue. Like you kind of talk about how I think there's a lot of realistic dialogue in this. And I like how he starts throwing things in the trash can. He's like, look, I'm just going to throw this away. Do you want it? And she's like, you know, she's kind of like, no. And he's like, OK, fine. But I feel like other movies and especially nowadays, they just wouldn't have even had that dialogue in there. He just would have thrown the things away. Yeah, this feels very this feels very much uh, a product of its time it, it's when we took we took the time to have these moments that we don't do now and this is not a moment i would want to cut from the movie no no i i mean no i, I feel like you could trim other things but uh i guess you could, i don't know yeah you could you could just cut certain things you don't need this you, is not this scene this scene is important this one is you don't need you don't need the flamboyant next door neighbor screaming about his shirts that are getting rained on i i honestly also think you don't need that scene where uh they went that uh where mctaggart you know where where cal shows up at the at the pier 
I don't think you need that scene in this. You could have cut that scene out. And you're right. It's, it's actually a very quick scene, and you could probably just get it from dialogue from McTaggart. Yep. Good call. Cut to Chris, Cal, and Jessica at a toy store. We see... <laughs> we I thought see... it was KB Toy Store, by the way. Do you remember the KB Toy Store used to have yeah. a booth in the front with all the mechanical toys yes. that move around? Yes. Yep. And did you enjoy the awesome fucking Zoid toys that are in there? I sure did. And in fact, uh, what's her face? Helen Shaver's character. She she points out the Zoid toy <laughs> as like, that one's pretty cool. And I'm like, she's got great taste. She should she should be your mom. Yeah. <laughs> and she will be. <laughs> and but by the man, way, we're gonna, oh man, we're, Chris has got shitty taste in toys. Well, maybe he doesn't because he sure disposes of it pretty quickly. <laughs> so Jessica asks Chris which toy he wants for his birthday. But Chris is having none of it. He is super moody. Chris eventually picks a random toy, and Cal says, what do you say to Jessica? He says thanks, but Cal can tell he isn't being genuine. She's not even in the picture at this point. She walks away to go pay for it, and he says thanks under his breath. And, yeah. And Cal just kind of, and I know that dad face, that dad face of, like, he just kind of pushes the kid forward to kind of get him moving but doesn't really say anything. But I, I... I can see. I, I recognize the the dad face. Like I'm, I'm getting pissed off at you, kid. I have moments with Bodie like that where I'm like, "Hey, make eye contact with people. Say thank you. You know, like make." But <laughs> they both get a pass because <laughs> they witnessed the the biggest part of their life yet die in front of their faces, and they did nothing. They could do nothing about it. God, they both get a pass on all of this. Do you think? Cal just eventually just sort of tackled her off, you know, like how did, how do you think he broke the, the, the circuit? You know what I mean? I don't, I think I'm, you pick up a broom handle and you whack her. Right. Cause he can't touch the, the, the milk too. Nope. Cause he would, Oh God, that this seriously guys and gals, if you watch this movie, just know that th- that opening man is, is gut wrenching. It, it'll stay with you. <laughs> it fucking will. It cold cocks you. <laughs> Uh, outside on the street, Jessica tries to buy ice cream for Chris, but he yells that he doesn't want any. When Jessica tries to give him hers, he knocks it to the ground and runs into traffic. Cal runs after him as they both almost get hit by cars. Cal chases him down and spanks him in the street as Chris yells that he doesn't want anything from her. She isn't his mom. Jessica watches in dismay. And, dude, this was tough, man, because, yeah, Cal, like, fucking lays into him, and he's yelling at him. And I also get the kid's response, man. She's not my mom. I don't – he's a, he's a fucking 8-year-old kid who watched his mom be electrocuted, like, two feet in front of his fucking face. He's not re- – nine months ago, he's not ready for Jessica to be his mom. Now, the whole scene is so – I, I'm watching it going, oh, God, oh, God, oh, oh, God, oh, God, oh, my God. <laughs> that that was my reaction through the whole thing because the little mechanical toy gets destroyed by a car that drives over it. Yeah. Uh, and he narrowly gets hit by cars. Yeah, it's a it's an intense moment. And, yeah, I mean, look, they both, like, he's taking out the rage that he feels about not being able to save his wife and all that stuff. And yeah, the whole thing is tragic. And, you know, she understands too. She's not an idiot. She's smart. She knows that this is hard on everybody, 
where most people would be like, okay, well, uh, I gotta go. I gotta, gotta Exit go. stage left even. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is the Murgatroyd. What's going on here? Yeah, no, I mean, it's 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 a kind of a big thing that she stays around after this, you know? Yep. <laughs> I mean, there's not much more I can say to yeah. it. It's just, it's really like, this is, this is probably the, the this is the climax of this their emotional state of their emotional relationship yeah yes. yeah back at the apartment kate dennis and carmen are getting things set up for chris's birthday party when cal and the boy come flying through the front door chris goes upstairs with cal hot on his tail cal apologizes for hitting him and chris cries that he doesn't care that she went away meaning you know lisa the mom Cal consoles him and tells him he loves his mom very much, but she's gone. Cal says that no one is more important to him than Chris. And I, they, they have this embrace and everything, and he apologizes, promises he'll never hit him again and everything. And I feel it's, I feel it's genuine coming Me from too. Cal. Oh, yeah. It's a really powerful scene. It's like it, you can tell that it's something that the character Cal will probably remember for the rest of his life and feel shame about doing. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I, I I never have and never will do anything remotely close to anything like that. And, and, and I've always told Bodie, like, I'll always be there for you. You have these things as a parent, though, as a especially as a uh, I'm, spe- I'm speaking about myself, obviously, where you have these moments where like you have these flashes of like, I could be dead tomorrow. I could be, you know. And and so you could fucking step be in a puddle of milk and touch a faulty fuse. Yeah. And and you tell your child that you will always be there for him, you know, and then if that happens, does that child end up going? He said he'd always be there for me. And he wasn't, you know, like kind of thing. And I have been to every because our situation is very I'm very fortunate for our situation. Very grateful for what I'm able to do with my kid. I'm always there for him and i think that's been a reflection in like his social emotional growth and blah 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 because he knows there's always going to be someone there it's just he has a very like a a confidence about himself in a good way so that moment of like i'm never going to do that again i feel that man like i feel that where like i got upset with bodie one time because he was having a meltdown and it's just like it happens shit happens you know as a parent this shit happens you your kids have meltdowns and you get frustrated with them and then you feel guilty about it afterwards depending on how you handled your frustration you know and and in that moment i'm watching martin sheen's character and i'm like he probably channeled some shit that he had done with either Emilio or charlie <laughs> yeah. or ramon yeah. or you know i think they have like three or four kids uh but it just makes me think about that stuff. Very relatable scene in in the sense of, like, I, I felt the emotion. Yes. That was a long rant. I kind of get the sense you probably got a bit more out of this movie than I did, uh, being a dad and, and everything. Oh, I there yeah, because I would go do what he did at the end. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I, would, I would do that. I would, do that. <laughs> I would love to. And guys and gals, Zach's. <laughs> not talking a big game he actually he he can back it up i've known zach for almost 10 years now um and i've known bodie well shit i've known zach longer than than 10 years i think at this point yeah and and i've known bodie his whole life um i've seen zach and bodie together i know how they are and yeah zach zach's a real deal when it comes to to being a super dad and everything so if uh if, if you know 
if if Baphomet wills it and I can I can have a kid one day, I tr- and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, I truly hope I can be as half the father you are to Bodhi. Aw, thanks. Thanks, dude. That's, Thank you. I appreciate that. I, I try. You do. You do a great job, my friend. You, you really you you take are, your, uh, you're an inspiration. You take... You're an inspiration. I appreciate that, man. Well, I'm just trying to just just do my best. Just doing just you're just a simple man trying to make your way in the universe i get it i'm a simple man you know i'm a simple man i i like butter in my ass and lollipops in my mouth there you go (laughs) way to bring it back to boogie nights Uh, oh Bodie's up oh shit no i'm kidding kidding. (laughs) for a minute your eyebrows went up i I was like oh shit (laughs) uh downstairs jessica is talking to kate and dennis she says she just wanted chris to have a nice birthday kate a little catty she says he still can. It's not over yet. The phone rings and Carmen answers it and calls for Dr. Jameson. Cal takes it upstairs in his bedroom. He picks up the phone and it's Lopez on the other end. The cop tells Cal to meet him at a diner on 20, uh, on 126th and Lexington and that he and his son are in danger. Tom hangs up the phone and starts walking through Spanish Harlem. You can tell he's in immense pain holding his stomach. He buys a packet of herbs from a bodega, then goes back out on the street. As Tom walks by a newsstand, he sees a magazine, I think it's the New Yorker, with Donald Calder on the cover. He steals it and rips off the cover and puts it in his front pocket. We see Paulo in his hotel room. He's still doing the ritual with Lopez's badge that we saw earlier. We see a shot of Cal having a hard time hailing a cab. Back in Spanish Harlem, Lopez makes his way to the diner. He takes a seat at the counter and orders water. The chef looks at him suspiciously. Tom is sweating buckets and looks really strung out. He takes out the cover of the magazine and writes something on it. The chef brings Tom water and he pours the packet he bought into it and drinks it. It doesn't help him. Tom screams in pain, then grabs the knife. He also yells the Spanish word for snakes. I just forgot to write it down, but he yells the Spanish word for snakes. Tom screams in pain, then grabs the knife from the chef and stabs his own stomach with it. This whole scene, man, it is sold by, by fucking Jimmy Smith's. I mean, he looks terrible. He is sweating from head to toe, and he looks like he's going to vomit, and Jimmy Smith is fucking awesome, and, and every time he looks like he's going to vomit, he's such a good actor, I think I'm going to vomit. You know, it's just like, it's good. It's damn good, and it's tense. Yeah, no, I totally agree. It's a great way to kill off his character and what's going to happen. Well, his autopsy is even worse. Right. Oh, that's, Jesus. Yeah, seriously. Cut to Cal in a cab. An ambulance speeds past them and pulls up to the diner ahead of them. When Cal, when Cal gets out of the cab, Lieutenant McTaggart grabs him and asks why he's here. Cal says that Tom called him and told him to meet him here. McTaggart asks why Cal didn't let him know. I'm going to get no resolution to that. They go inside and find Tom on the floor with a knife still in his gut. By the way, a cop sort of walks past him. Jimmy Smith doesn't even flinch, but the cop... Like steps like a nano hair from his head, like the actor. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. that's not a dead body. That's actually an actor still like alive on the floor right there. Almost right. got kicked in the face. Good looking out, dude. <laughs> yeah, seriously. 
Officers are interviewing the patrons and workers. The chef says uh, he kept saying snakes in Spanish. The man also says that Tom was writing on the magazine cover before he took the knife. McTaggart picks up the blood-soaked cover. A-C-H-E is written by Tom on Donald Calder's shirt collar. He asks if A-C-H-E means anything to Cal. He shakes his head no. Cut to the A-C-H-E youth center. A bunch of police officers are outside and inside the building. McTaggart and his men are requesting files. It's chaos overall. Cal is smoking a cigarette in the lobby when he sees the man from the shop that wouldn't talk to him the other day. Cal asks, Oscar Cezine? The guy walks up to him and says, yes. Cal asks Oscar why he wouldn't talk to him before about the book. Oscar points at him. He goes, did you bring the police in here? McTaggart walks up and asks for Cezine. He tells Oscar he wants to talk to him in his office. As the three men walk in, we see the same New Yorker cover with Calder hanging on the wall. In the office, McTaggart asks what A-C-H-E is supposed to be. This building is registered as a drug rehab center. Oscar says their doors are open to any troubled children. McTaggart cuts him off and says, Even your own kid OD'd, huh? Oscar pushes... Oscar pauses and says yes, then asks, is that why the police are here? McTaggart asks about Tom Lopez. Did Oscar know he was a cop? Oscar says yes, and that he's a volunteer on staff and teaches boxing. McTaggart says not anymore. He killed himself about an hour ago. Oscar looks shocked. We see Cal is looking through the New Yorker article on Calder. McTaggart grills Oscar about the missing kids. Is this kid, Louis Montana, part of your drug rehab program? He was. He ran away last week. Is that right? And did you see him after he ran away? No. Did Tom Lopez know him? Yes. I believe he coached him. Then you saw them together? Yes. Why? We found Louis Montana's body on a Hudson River barge yesterday. Now, you wouldn't happen to know anything about that, would you? Oscar looks shocked and says, certainly not. I'm, by the way, I like the actor who plays Oscar here. Yeah, he's good. He's good. And I, I like when I don't recognize people. I'm like, I don't, it could be just any man. Yeah. Kind of an actor. Yeah, he's good. He's effective. He's very good. Yeah. He, he, and he kind of has a big role for such a, like a relatively unknown actor. McTaggart reads Oscar's rights, then looks at Cal and says, you know what I would really like to do? Put this monkey on a grill and fry his ass and I get some, until I get some straight fucking answers around here about this Santeria bullshit. McTaggart hands Oscar his business card and tells him to call him tomorrow in the, at the precinct. Then the lieutenant leaves the room. Yeah, weird. Yeah. Like, why does he read him his rights but not arrest him? I don't understand that. He doesn't track. Yeah. Like, he reads him his whole fucking rights, but he doesn't arrest as, him. As great as uh, Loja is, it's not his fault. It's the it, script. It's the script, yeah. yeah. It's just kind of wonky. Yeah, it's got some wonkiness here and there. And Loja yeah. does his thing. He moves through it. But, yeah, it's, it's if you, like, actually write down his dialogue and you're like, that doesn't track. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure after, you know, cut. Why the hell did I say that line? Because you're Robert Loja? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Put Robert Loja, Ben Gazzara, and then the guy who plays the, you know, the the main villain in this. Put those three guys in a movie together. (laughs) 
It would be like <laughs> three levels of rage from from like old white men with you know receding hairline. With receding, yeah, they're all balding. Yeah. Uh, Cal, Cal apologizes for McTaggart and says uh, that he hasn't slept in two days. Oscar asks what Cal is doing here. Cal says he's a therapist, and Tom Lopez is one of his patients. Oscar pleads with Cal. My God, do you think we're savages? That we are capable of killing children? Cal says, you said in your book that human sacrifice was practiced at one time. Oscar looks frustrated and says, name me one religion where atrocities have not been committed in the name of a god. Ding. Yep. Santeria is a force for good. It's not a blood cult trading in innocent lives. Cal asks, what are you people so afraid of? Oscar shoots back, of your ignorance, of your prejudice, because you used it as a weapon against us. Tom Lopez was a good and decent man. He was devoted to these children. I don't believe he committed suicide or had anything to do with that outrage. Cal says, neither do I. Oscar looks at him. Cal grabs the magazine and asks, Robert Calder is the chairman of your board. Oscar says he's a major contributor. Cal asks, he's not into Santeria. Oscar says no. Cal asks if he can meet Calder at a fundraiser later this week. Oscar says he'll arrange it. He's not into Santeria. <laughs> Jesus. Good Fucking one. Sublime. Good one. Good one. Cut to Carmen taking Chris's wishing shell she had out of a jar and doing a ritual with it by putting it in a water and praying. We see Cal and Chris walking through the street and right past Paolo as he watches them. The boy asks his, his dad if they can stop by a church so he can light a candle for mom. They do, and after, Chris looks at a gnarly statue of Jesus with like all of his gore and everything. Yeah, I mean, look, no disrespect to people that are religious. You know, but now I'm going to disrespect it because I set it up that yeah. way. Yeah, <laughs> I, You know, like... <sighs> There's so many, there's so many religions. We've had this discussion a million times over, but you know, if if, if you want to, if you worship the earth and you worship, uh, you feel like Mother Earth is a spirit, and you think that you know, kachinas uh, are uh, can bring fortune and, and crops, and you you know, you pray to those those several different gods, and it's not hurting anybody, you know, and it's just all you're doing is. Giving to the ground or monk, uh, giving to the ground or around you, and then suddenly this new religion comes in and takes you over and tells you you have to pray to this fucking guy strapped to a cross and got holes in his body, and you know if you don't do these things, you're gonna go to hell, and like suddenly, you know, like Oscar is describing shit like, you know, I don't know, just religion is so gross. It's so gross. It's so gross. It's so gross, man. It's so gross. It's a, it's an, it's a discussion we've had many times on this show. And I'm just, uh, you know, all in the name of what it's disgusting. And then all, and then this is very telling with these rich white people. Not, they're not all white, you know, Latin descent as well. Uh, but you know, it's just, Oh God. Yeah. This irked me, you know, when, especially when he sees like, can I go light a candle or whatever? Yeah. Well, I'm a Sure, let's go light a candle. What's that going to do? What's that going to do? Nothing. 
not gonna do anything. It's fake. It's fake. Sorry, it's fake. Sorry, y'all. It's fake. Canceled. Yeah, no, you know, you know where I stand, buddy boy. You know, I'm, I'm pretty I much know you there do. with you and everything. And yeah, it's, it's organized religion. Horrible things have been done in the name of, of gods and, and all throughout history, all throughout history. And imagine, just imagine what we could have accomplished if we weren't so tribalized and, and religified, you know, and everything. Imagine if a book was written thousands of years ago that we took as gospel that talked about other things like the flowers being the things we should worship and the earth is what we should worship. Well, the irony is that, that I do believe the Bible talks about good stuff. And I believe Jesus was probably, if he existed, was a pretty fucking cool dude. The problem is people pick and choose what they want to take away from it and everything like that. I guess, yeah, I guess my whole thing is like, man, what if, it's what if people. it didn't have all the negative stuff in there yeah. that the people have taken? Like Pat Robinson, Pat oh, Robertson. Oh, God, that guy, dead. you know that guy is fucking burning in fucking hell right if now. If there is if, one. If there is hell, I hope he's the only, him and Hitler are the only ones that are fucking in hell because they're the two of the worst fucking people on the face of this earth. Yep. They need that dial of destiny to turn it back and 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 good news though uh righteous gemstones is back and i couldn't be fucking happier because yeah i gotta start watching that show again eric roberts is gonna be on this season oh and our boy yeah and our boy that was last uh, season you did you not watch season three oh sorry he was on last season yeah yeah i didn't i didn't watch that season yet and so it's new for you new for me and i know our boy uh sean what's his face from people under the stairs that we interviewed um he's in He's in this season. He's in the newest season. Yeah. Yeah. So you yeah, still have so to watch, I think, season two, and then season three is what's out now. I do. I do. So good. So good. So good. Okay. So cut to – and then I'm going to need your clarification on, on stuff here, but we'll we'll get to that in a second. Cut to a swanky fundraiser for ACHE. Oscar greets Jessica and Cal and gets them drinks. Oscar sees Calder and goes to meet him. Jessica fills in Cal. Calder is a self-made man. He's into everything. Money markets, energy, the whole bit. By the way, Jessica's wearing a, a nice little, like, dress thingy. And she never, guys and gals, she never wears a bra in this entire movie. And I am here for every bit of it. <laughs> Zach's laughing, but he's like, ah. <laughs> I will not comment. <laughs> I will not comment. I will not comment, but I will go. Too <laughs> <laughs> much. Oscar brings Calder over to meet Cal and Jessica. Cal asks if he knew Tom Lopez. Calder did. It was a terrible tragedy. He asks if Cal knew Tom well, and he says not as well as he would have liked. I suppose none of us did. We always wish we'd known someone better when they're taken from us unexpectedly. Calder goes on, I lost my only son five years ago. Drug overdose. I live with that every day. Cal says, it tests one's faith, doesn't it? Calder says, it can also help you find it. Just then, one of Calder's assistants interrupts them and says that the that a rep- representative from the mayor's office is there. Cal and Calder exchange pleasantries, and the latter exits the conversation. Jessica comes up to Cal just as a hostess is handing out cigars. 
Jessica's declines, even though she has a cigarette, but a rich couple says to her, smoke attracts the gods and makes them want to join the party. Jessica excuses herself to the bathroom. And by the way, I like that comment about the smoke. Yeah, and she says, I, I got to pee. <laughs> she does. She, she does. She's say not very ladylike, <laughs> yeah. as, as the stereotype would go. As she goes upstairs, we see Paolo at the party surveying the crowd. While in the bathroom, Jessica overhears Oscar talking to Calder about the police coming to the youth center. The rich man says to let the lawyers handle it, but Oscar is upset that all their good work will be undone by this. Calder reassures him it won't. The two men leave the office and Jessica leaves the bathroom to investigate, her makeup case still on the sink. As Oscar and Calder walk back to the party, Oscar mentions the detective's name is McTaggart. Calder takes the officer's card and tells Oscar to not worry about it anymore. We see Jessica sneak into Calder's office and uncovers a wicked-looking skull in a glass case. With it, nails in it. It has, yeah, spikes hammered into the skull, and the case is, like, fully sealed, so it's in water, and there's, like, fish and salamander all over. I like that they don't explain this. I'm going to assume it has to do with something like it, it exists as some kind of religious iconography, but I like that they don't explain it at all. Yeah. I'm with you on that. Part of me was like, not sure if I was into that. Cause I'm like, what was the point of that? But yeah, I think the point of it was to kind of let you know that Calder might be a little bit more freaky than we think he is. Yeah. I would have loved it. If suddenly there was like a, big painting of an S&M photo, like from TerraVision. Yeah, yeah. Join me in the jacuzzi. Just taking care of business. Just taking care of business. <laughs> There's no such thing as ghosts. <laughs> Guilty. It's the it's a Safari Brothers or whatever they're called. Arrgh! And the funny thing is that skull almost looks like the skull of like Pinhead or something. It has yeah, so many exactly. like nails in it, you know. I have such sights I have such sights to show you. <laughs> 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 Outside of the main area, Calder is giving a fundraising speech to the crowd. At the same time in the bathroom, we see Paolo rub his hand over Jessica's compact uh makeup pad, then put it back. Jessica Jessica puts the cover back over the skull and goes back to the bathroom and puts some makeup on via the compact pad. She joins Cal back at the party and walks past the parents of the first kid that was killed that we saw in the hospital. The ones that McTaggart pointed out, you know, to, to Cal. They look weirdly happy. After Calder gives his speech, a band starts playing African music as people hold out checks and money to be donated. We see Paolo start dancing to the beat of the drums in the middle of the crowd. Everyone CM Punk's music. Cult of personality. Big props to CM Punk. Uh, I saw a clip of him, I think it was recently, where he kind of, like, stopped a show and started saying we need to, like, you know, uh, respect trans rights and, you know, LGBTQ oh, yeah. and everything like that. And I was like, he's he, like, gave, like, this, like, three-minute speech on, like, we all, like, how important it is for us to be kind and not, you know. Yeah, he's very outspoken. 
he's a very outspoken uh, supporter of, of the LGBTQ plus community. It made me like him even more because of it. Yeah, yeah. And yes, please support our, our trans uh, friends and our LGBTQ and everything like that. We, we love you all. Nothing but love. Unless you're a Sublime fan. Just kidding, <laughs> yeah, just kidding. <laughs> we hate you if you're a Sublime fan. <laughs> just kidding. One of Calder's assistants asks what they should do. Paulo's eyes go white, and we see multiple people in the crowd are entranced by him. Jessica starts walking towards Paolo, and he looks at her, and his eyes are, are sort of back to being milky bluish. Calder watches in stunned amazement. Jessica becomes entranced, and her eyes roll back while Paolo dances in front of her. Paolo reaches for a necklace, but Cal. Paolo reaches for her necklace, but Cal. 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 Paolo reaches for her necklace, but Cal pushes him back. Then Oscar gets between Cal and Paolo and tells Paolo he's not one of us. Don't touch him. Oscar tells Cal to take her home while he argues with Paolo in his native language. Cal's so, reaction should have been, "Get your fucking hands off my off my lady." Yeah, that that shit. Like he was so passive about it. I'd be like, "What the fuck? What's wrong with you, dude?" So, but dude, we <laughs> gotta talk. Shit. We gotta talk about Oscar. So Oscar later on will become is a good guy, I guess, right? And and and, yeah. and he's sort of vindicated. Like we know that he's not that wrapped up like he we know he's not wrapped up in the bad side of things but clearly based on this he knows who paolo is right and he also knows i guess an idea of his power because he's gotta know what's going on because he says she's not one of us they're not one of us so like so what so i guess my question to you is like first off what was paolo doing to begin with like so if cal and jessica weren't there he would have done the same thing, but what would that have led to? I mean, I guess he's just doing a tribal dance. But it clearly affects other people, though. Like he would have, he would have latched onto somebody, right, and done something. Yeah, he with would have them. latched onto somebody and had some sort of connection with them. He has some sort of connection with her, uh, but but she's like a threat, right? Because ultimately they do something to, to try to get rid of her i guess that's why he's uh, he i mean he's yeah it's it's it doesn't jive while he why he is can i kind of attracted to her or connected to her when she walks in she's maybe wrong place wrong time and then the whole dynamic with oscar the fact that he is like so strongly involved in his own magic it, it doesn't track that he would be connected to Calder in that way. Like right. that they, it just doesn't, it, that doesn't make sense. He should be an outside. It, it really should. It really should have been Carmen. The one doing all this stuff. It's almost like they, that they wrote, they write off Carmen pretty soon and get rid of her. And it's almost like it was, a, it's to me, it's almost like the director and writer were like, Oh shit, but we need to get a, Oh man, how are we gonna write this in? Oh, we'll make Oscar the one who uh, who does the satanic ritual or the the ritual with you know. And, and this is based on a book, and obviously Zach and I haven't read it, but yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if like if like Carmen and Oscar were one character in in the book, and they sort of split them up into two people right. or something. You know, a la the relic when they they split up all these characters or they 
combine a bunch of characters in the relic. Oh yeah, because you said you read that book, right? I've never read yeah, it. Yeah, I read that book uh, a year ago again for the second time. It's a great book, by the way. We, and, and we are going to review that on the show one of these days, but you know what? I would like to catch up before we do review it on the show. I would actually like to read the book and then we can have like a full discussion about like what's different about the the book versus the movie and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, we should do that for sure. And it was supposed to come out on Blu-ray at one point and it didn't. So um, I, it's just like, like in limbo right now. I, I feel like, yeah, I feel like I saw I, I saw some announcement or something. But, yeah, now it's it's yeah not anywhere. So, obviously, we'll wait for the Blu-ray. Uh, but once it once it, it does come out, that is a movie that Zach and I will bring to the table. But I do want to read the book first. Agreed and agreed. Hey, everybody. Corey here. I just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. Hey everybody, I'm Tim. And I'm Dean. And we're the hosts of Talking Back. We're a retro-based podcast covering movies, comics, video games, and more. Check us out every Monday where we hit the rewind button and dig into some of our favorite content from the past. We like to keep things fun, lighthearted, and informative. Do you feel like you need more nostalgia in your life? Then check out Talking Back. We're available everywhere podcasts are found. Hello everybody, I'm Adam. I'm John. And every week we are giving you a blast from our past. We are the podcast that brings you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, album reviews, top tens, and more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. So please join us every single week on the Blast From Our Past podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, however you listen to podcasts, you can find us, and we would love to have you take a trip with us to the land of nostalgia. And now, back to the show. Back at the house, Chris is having a bad dream. Carmen is on the ground praying to the idol she hid under his bed. Then she rubs an egg around his body while saying a prayer. Carmen then takes the egg and breaks it into a bowl to reveal it's full of blood. Carmen gasps, then goes upstairs and takes the covers off of Chris and rubs his body with flowers while, he, while she prays over him. She picks Chris up and, and he starts screaming. Just then, Cal and Jessica come home and Cal runs upstairs when he hears the screaming. Cal busts through the bedroom door and rips Chris out of Carmen's arms. Carmen runs away screaming, you don't understand. But Cal says she's fired and to get the hell out. She screams back that, Cal, that Chris is in danger, but Cal grabs the idol out of her hand and breaks it on the ground. Carmen screams and tries to pick up the pieces, but Cal throws her out the door and says he'll call the cops if he ever sees her again. Yeah. And that's when she's like, you know, she says, oh, you're killing me. And I think there's like a connection to that idol because um, Oscar has the same idol and everything. I think it's a Santeria idol. Um, right. But when he breaks, when Cal breaks it on the ground, the the bellow that Carmen lets out, I feel oh, yeah. it, dude. Yeah same same it's intense it's intense it's such a bummer moment and that's the thing it's like man dude cal just because you don't believe in this clearly she does and i think that crossed a line man when you broke that thing that fucking crossed a line yeah no i totally agree i totally agree yeah it's fozzy i heard fozzy fozzy come 
about to be talking. Come here. Whenever, whenever she barks at something, she immediately comes to one of us to like. Yeah. She's like, Dad, come here. Dad, I got something to tell you. Come here. Come here. Hey, Foz, come. Cut to Lieutenant McTaggart at the police station. He's having a spat with his fellow officers about filing paperwork. At the same time, we see Paulo doing another ritual, this time with McTaggart's business card. Cal walks into the station and meets with the aging detective. McTaggart hands him a file and says, Sazine's story on his son checks out. The autopsy confirmed the kid OD'd, and that's important. Yeah. Cal says he expected as much. What about the Calder boy? McTaggart says, same thing, overdose five years ago. Cal looks at the report and notices something. Five years ago, this boy was eight years old. Eight-year-olds don't usually OD. Where's the autopsy report? McTaggart says he can't find it. No one knows where it is. Cal is shocked. Are you saying it's lost or someone doesn't want it found? McTaggart leans in and levels with him. Listen, we're dropping this investigation. We're laying the murders on Lopez. Cal says, Lopez didn't kill anybody but himself, and you know it. Where's this coming from? McTaggart frantically says they have enough to close the case now. Cal says, who the hell do you think you're kidding? McTaggart drops down to a whisper, and he goes, you want me to show you? It's ominous. Cal and McTaggart walk into the autopsy room, and there's a body on the table and a bowl next to it. The cop pulls back the cover to reveal Lopez under the sheet. McTaggart then tells Cal to come to come over to the bowl and says, you didn't see this. He removes a cover from the bowl and inside are Lopez's intestines and snakes. Oh, so gross. Dude, so he really fucking had snakes in his stomach. Cobra! <laughs> Cobra! Cobra! Cobra. <laughs> Running through his stomach, deep inside his chest. Cobra. 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 <laughs> Dude, I know that tune like the back of my hand. Listen to the latest episode of Territory Marks and you'll get a nice dose of that nostalgia. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait, buddy. But uh, uh but this yeah, scene no, was in, fucking gross. freaky, man. Yeah, but it's a great scene. It finally, it finally, like, this is things moving forward. Things are gonna just pick up the pace, and they're gonna get more and more like sort of supernatural and everything. S- supernatural, S- supernatural. <laughs> I can, I can hear little Zach saying it in, in my head. Sadly, <laughs> little Zach makes an appearance in the latest episode of Territory Marks. Too. Oh boy, you're plugging the hell out of that one, guys and gals. Go check out Two Dollar Late Fee. Very proud of it. I edited the shit out of that. Corey and I do our own editing, by the way. Yeah. So does Dustin for the interviews on Two Dollar, but it's hard work. And when you put a lot of time and energy into it, and you're like satisfied at the end, you're like, yeah, it's a little masterpiece. Yeah, dude, I had a great time uh, editing, uh, uh, treasure, treasure of the four crowns, man. That was, uh, that was a, you did a great job. Great job breaking that one down, man. You made uh, editing very easy on that one. Just like you were doing with this one. You'll never know because I'll be the one editing it. (laughs) This is true. (laughs) Cut to Cal packing a bag for Chris. We hear a car honking outside. It's Dennis and Kate there to take Chris upstate for the weekend. Cal tells him to be a good boy, and he'll meet them in a few days. After that, they'll go to Santa Fe to see Cal's parents, which is Chris's grandparents. Cal tells Chris he loves him. Then Jessica says he hopes he has a good time. I I love this moment. 
Me too. It's a really sweet scene. Chris hands his dad Chief Black Cloud, then walks over to Jessica and gives her a big hug. She picks him up in her arms and gives him a kiss. Chris hops in the front seat of the car on Kate's lap and they drive off. And this is why we have seatbelt laws now. Right. I love this moment. I love seeing, uh, you know, Chris make that effort with Jessica and everything, you know. Me too. Me too. It's a really sweet, it's a needed moment to understand the relationship has finally changed. Plus, you and I have both had step parents that we loved, you know, with yeah. all of our heart, as much as we loved our own parents and everything. And right. I think I, I could relate to Chris, you know, in this moment and everything. But I could also yeah. relate to him earlier when he was upset about everything. Totally. Yeah, it's very realistic. Later that day, Cal and Jessica meet Oscar at the shop. Oscar is dipping the wishing shell in water and looking at it. Cal says, why would my housekeeper take it from my son? Is it Santeria? Oscar says, no, it's not Santeria. It's black magic. It's It's not Santeria. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) I know. I know. And then you say wishing shell, and I go, wishing well, the wishing shell. (laughs) You get some insight into Zach's mind. but My, My mind is always a music video. I'm not going to lie to you, bro. Anytime I wrote Santeria, I could hear it in the back of my head. I'm just like, fuck me. Fuck me. <laughs> Fucking go away. Oh, get a belly tattoo that says Sublime on it. <laughs> I'm not clever. You're not clever. Uh, the sim- I lumped them in with, I'm sorry. This is going to piss off a lot of people. I lumped them in with Smash Mouth. I did too. I mean, in the 90s. But hey, here's the thing fucking radio only ever played two fucking songs of sublime so all i, I know is fucking I, god i hate radio i hate the fact that i've only ever heard like some you know some bands like i just hear two songs at nausea forever yeah, for the rest of my radio's life. fault it is radio's fault you know what maybe sublime is good but i don't know and i'll never find out because i don't give a shit because i hate those two fucking songs wrong way was their other song gotta go the wrong that's way right, that's right that's right that song can, I'm, it's fine it's, if you like it care. cool if not i don't care it's all good you know who i like creed my sacrifice <laughs> hello my friend we meet again it's been a while since we meet man feels like forever that's a great song I'm like the sad? I'm like the brutal Jeff of him looking around. <laughs> Sorry, it's like thinking about sacrificing and you know, that my sacrifice popped into my head. My sacrifice. I can't, I can't keep up with your musical brain. <laughs> Sorry. Oscar says the symbol belongs to a god of destruction. I'm just moving on. You said Creed, and I'm just moving on, buddy. I'm trying to save you, my friend. <laughs> no, I. Yeah, I've lost. I've lost. Right? Yeah. No, save it. yourself. Save yourself. Save yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Cal asks what it has to do with Chris. Oscar grabs a book and says that there was a ritual for when a tribe was threatened by drought, flood, or destruction by its enemies. Three children were offered to the god. Elder sons sacrifi- sacrificed by their fathers. The last child at the summer solstice. And then Oscar kind of shows them the book. A little Wicker Man shit going on, too. Yes. Yes, dude. Some summer solstice shit going on. Yep. Yep. Cal says he's seen the bodies of two children. The ritual is, be- is being performed now. Jessica asks if Carmen was involved. Oscar says no. She was trying to cast a protection spell, but was not strong enough. It was turned against her. Jessica asks... 
Protection from what? Oscar says, look, you both felt the power of the man who killed Tom Lopez and those two children. I'm sure of it. He points at Jessica. You looked into his eyes. Cal asks if Calder brought the man here. Oscar says, I believe that's what Lopez was trying to tell you. Cal begs, what can I do? Please tell me. Oscar says the summer solstice is four days away. You must seek protection for your son and yourself. Cal says he'll need a priest, a Santero. Oscar says he's a Santero, but you must trust me and do as I say. Oscar leads Jessica and Cal down into the basement of his shop. Jessica says they shouldn't be doing this, but Cal quickly shoots back, you don't have to stay. As they walk He does past- it as like a dick. He's kind of he's kind of a dick when he says it. He's like, You don't have to stay. Yeah. But I respect the fuck out of Jessica for going all the way. I mean, sh- Jessica is a ride or die chick. She sure is. And then she takes Martin Sheen's tongue on a ride or die train <laughs> when she kisses him soon after this. He does like deep throat. I'm like Whoa, that is a heavy kiss. There was an article recently they were like actors are not kissing as much on screen anymore and this is the reason why and i'm like yeah yeah no it's all good sometimes you see a passionate kiss and you're like whoa i'm not i'm sure the direct maybe did the director call for that maybe maybe not what the fuck was i i was just watching something that was like recent i wonder if it was like atlanta or something but when the the two characters made out like you could see their tongues like kissing it was almost like Remember those early animated Aeon Flux cartoons? That one episode where they they, they kiss and they she puts the 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 like they exchange that little capsule in between the tooth yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, it was like that. I was like, I was like, wow, I, was like, I don't even kiss my wife like that. <laughs> Whoa, I know, right? I know we are. I, there's a song uh, by this band called Starbuck. It's called Moonlight. Feels right. Has a xylophone solo in it, which is amazing. <laughs> is this by the a way. new it's band a great or yacht... old band? No, seventies. Oh, okay. it's, it's a great oh, okay. yacht rock song. But there's a there's a line in it uh, where the guy goes, "And I give her a wet kiss." And Bodie and I are listening to the song. He's like, "A wet kiss? Ew!" I go, "Yeah, dude. It is ew." You won't have to worry about that, Bodie, for a few few more I years. Hope, I hope so. He goes, that's cringe. I go, it's super cringe. Super cringe, cringe bro. Sus. Super cringe. Yeah. <laughs> that's what the kids say. But yeah, you, she's, a, she's a total ride or die, by the way. Yes, I agree. As they walk past unfamiliar religious iconographies and head towards the altar, Jessica pleads with Cal to leave. He says he doesn't know what else to do. We see Cal write his son's name on a piece of paper and give it to Oscar. The Santero tells them both to kneel at the altar. Oscar starts praying over a picture of Chris in a bowl with a piece of paper in it. He blows smoke at them and offers more prayers. Water to purify. May your enemies never see what we are doing here. Oscar grabs a live chicken from the cage and tells Cal to stand up. He prays over Cal with the animal and then cuts the head off with a knife. Blood sprays Jess. <laughs> blood sprays Jessica on the chest and shoulder. Oscar pours the blood on the altar and tells Cal to offer the blood to his, for his son's life. She doesn't flinch either, by the way. She doesn't. Again, ride or die, dude. Cal strips some feathers and rubs them in blood. He pours the blood on the idol next to Chris's picture. 
But yeah, dude, she just gets she fucking gets sprayed. And even yep. Cal's like Cal doesn't even say anything. He's just like, okay. He's like, well, you wanted to be here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You wanted to be here, so <laughs> yeah. you asked for it. You wanted it more than I did. <laughs> At the police station, some detectives are sitting around telling stories. The phone rings and one of them answers it. It's Cal asking for McTaggart. The detectives say he's out with the flu. At Cal's place, he hangs up the phone and then calls McTaggart's home. We see Jessica next to him looking at a pimple on her cheek with the compact makeup case from the party. She uses concealer to cover it up with the pad that Paolo cursed. Cal gets no answer and hangs up the phone. He walks over to Jessica and says she should go to Santa Fe with them. She says, this could get serious, you know. Cal says, I hope so, and kisses her. That's when he sticks his... Just watch that scene again, guys. It's it's it really kind of gross. Yeah. But, like, passionate. They clearly are into each other. Passionate, but gross. And I'm with you. I noticed it, too, and it was this kiss. They were like... Bleh, bleh, bleh. Yeah. <laughs> Cut to a little time later, and Cal and Jessica are in bed. She wakes up from a nightmare and gets out of bed and goes to the bathroom. <laughs> we see everything. Like... Everything from the back and everything from the front. Everything. And you know what? I'm not going to lie. I miss casual full frontal nudity and and thrillers from the 80s, you know? I'm sure. (laughs) You do too. I can tell. Zach doesn't want to answer. He misses it too. He loves it. He loves it all. I mean, I was just talking about Harvey Keitel's barrel chest in bad lieutenant when he's naked and he's standing you know full frontal nudity and i'm like i didn't need to see that but it's it's more realistic it's more realistic it it is more realistic yeah though i don't sleep naked so i i do know people who do and it is what it is i sleep naked okay okay sure there you go (laughs) that's why my body pillow is full of farts (laughs) <laughs> oh boy and pubes yeah well i don't have that many i shave them but you know <laughs> <laughs> jessica checks the pimple in the oh. mirror and it's getting bigger she puts some rubbing alcohol on it. it's like oh my god and she's so mortified by this pimple you can Not tell even she's, peroxide. Never, she's never had one before she's like oh my god no the cigarettes keep the acne away you're not wrong about that i know <laughs> It's the leathery skin. I've I've dated I've dated smokers in the past. Uh, can I say? Uh, obviously, my wife doesn't smoke, but and I know I'm sure you hate it, but I always loved the the taste of of kissing, uh, making out with a fellow smoker. Oh, that's great. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> I did not. My ex wife didn't. I've like, never Ooh. seen. A more disgusted look on Zach's face before. It's gross. It's gross. It's just like nicotine. Think of all the chemicals that are in there. All all the sweet, sweet chemicals. Your ex was your ex a smoker? Oh yeah. Okay. okay. She was at the end of our relationship. <laughs> you made you her. You made her be a smoker. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Uh, uh, <laughs> <life>. <laughs> Everything gets you to where you are now, and where you are is the place to be. I wouldn't change a goddamn thing, my friend, at all. I totally agree. I know. I know, man. I know. I get it. 
At Dennis and Kate's lake house, we see Chris fishing off the dock. The phone rings and Kate picks up. Cal asks how Chris is doing and she says he's a delight. Cal asks to speak with him, but Kate says, I'm sorry, darling, but he's out on the boat with Dennis right now. Except we see Dennis is right next to her. And this is when you're like, okay, now I see all these little sly comments. And yeah, okay, things are getting weird. Right. The camera pans over and we see that Donald Calder is there as well. Kate asks if he'll be there tonight. And Cal says he will. They have a whole weekend of fun planned. Or do they? Cal hangs up the phone and the camera goes back to Chris fishing on the dock. Paulo walks up next to him with a fishing rod of his own. Chris turns and looks at him like, who the hell are you? But okay, sure. You, you want to, you want me to move over? Want me to move over? Yeah. He's like, he just like a kid. He just looks back. He's like, what the fuck? And then he's like, goes back to doing what he's doing. Cause he, yeah. He, oh, this is a community pool or this is a, okay, cool. Sure. <laughs> kids, <laughs> kids don't ask questions. No. Back at Cal's place. He calls Jessica and asks if she's all right. She says she's just really tired. Cal says he'll be right over, but she says she needs some sleep. Cal says they can postpone, but Jessica says to go without him. To go without her. The camera slowly pans over the pictures of in Jessica's room of her headshots and everything like that, like you said earlier. Nice headshot, Chief. Nice <laughs> headshot. Nice headshot, Chief. When she hangs up the phone, we see the sore on the side of her face the size of a golf ball. After she hangs up, she quickly picks up the phone again and asks for Cal, but it's it's dial tone now. Dial tone from G.I. Joe? <laughs> Good call, buddy. Good call. Not my favorite Joe, but that's okay. So you're more of a mainframe guy? Yeah, I was more of a mainframe guy for sure. Dial tone, I'm like, what? what's the point of having dial tone when you've got mainframe? Like, they're both tech guys. I mean, so was sci-fi and every. Yeah, at some point you started to get a bit redundant on on the roster there. And then, as much as I thought he kind of looked cool, uh, the 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 God, the, the medic, uh, the old the the at the end who the red and white medic, you know. Oh, I had his toy. Lifeline, lifeline, lifeline. Yep, lifeline. He's a pacifist. I'm yeah. a pacifist. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Lame. I I Lame. I always like Doc better. Oh, Doc was ten times better, but like what Lifeline was lame. Yeah. He's lame. And then they devoted like three or four episodes to him at the in the end of the final season. I liked uh one of my favorite toys was Barbecue, because I liked how he had that mask he actually put on and Barbecue. Yeah, yeah his voice kinda of like talking like that. His voice but, was terrible, but he was so cool, Barbecue. Yeah, yeah. No, I I thought he was he had a like how like how the tube like hooked into like his, you know, chest piece and stuff oh, like that. Oh no, that was blowtorch. I thought Barbecue had a... Barbecue yes. was the one who was orange and, and gray. Blowtorch was the one who was red and yellow. I had Blowtorch. That's Blowtorch the... was the Irish guy. He had an Irish accent. Yes. I. Had... So then why do you need Blowtorch and Barbecue? They're both flamethrowers. Exactly. I don't know. <laughs> I, like, I don't know. <laughs> Moving on. I don't on. know. Why don't you enjoy... The Viper's here. Where's the Viper? The I remember that it's the Wiper. Yep, I know. I remember that fucking episode, buddy. I remember it. Two oh, windows. I love GI Joe, but you know what? As I'm getting older, I bought the GI Joe box set and everything, and I bought the the Masters of the Universe box set and everything. I truly believe that Masters of the Universe is the better show, 
and it has more legs. I think it's I think it's timeless. I think GI Joe mm. is of the '80s, and I will always love it. But I, as I'm getting older, I think I think He Man is fucking timeless, dude. I mean, I I, I love them equally uh, for different reasons. I can't say one is better than the other, though. I just love them equally. I think for me, it's kind of jarring because I was such a huge GI Joe fan as a kid. And I mean, I loved He-Man, but I didn't love He-Man as much. I think I'd love He-Man more now than I actually did as a kid. I do too. Yeah. Good talk. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good talk, Zach. Good talk. (laughs) Let's let's talk about the Believer. Santorini. Sublime sucks. (laughs) Get back to Sublime. (laughs) Oh, okay. Where where the fuck were we? Cut to Cal leaving his apartment, but he gets a phone call. It's McTaggart. The lieutenant doesn't sound good. My apartment. Got to see you. Then he hangs up the phone. We see Cal driving across the city and into, I don't know, man, Queens? Jersey? I yeah, don't know. I guess so. Yeah. some one of, the, one of the five boroughs. I don't know New York that well, to be honest with you. I don't either, yeah. but it looks like it looks like a dilapidated complex. Yeah, like almost like uh, projects almost. Yeah. He knocks on the door, but it slowly opens. Cal slowly walks in, and we see McTaggart sitting at a chair with his gun pointed at the door. Trash is littered all around the chair. McTaggart looks like death. He tells Cal to come in and step into the light. He wants to see his face. Cal cautiously enters the apartment and closes the door. He looks around at the place and sees the TV has been shot. <laughs> shot your TV out, huh, man? <laughs> Just like Elvis. That was from Inner Space. Cal tells McTaggart he doesn't need the gun, but the cop says he saw them outside his door. Cal says he came alone. He's here to help. McTaggart flings a file at him without barely moving his arm. It's the sealed report on Calder's son's death. McTaggart says it wasn't an overdose. He killed his own fucking son. Cal looks at an image of the boy upside down with a hole in his stomach. McTaggart says he found it in in the buried files. They didn't think he knew where to find them, but he did. That's why they're watching him now. Just then the phone rings and McTaggart tells Cal to answer it. When he does, the person on the other line hangs up. McTaggart asks... Why haven't they done anything to you? Cal says, what have they done to you? McTaggart says he can't move. The phone rings again and McTaggart shoots it, then puts the gun to his head and starts uttering a prayer. Cal says the prayer too and slowly takes the gun from the dying cop. McTaggart says to Cal, take the gun, kill him. The police won't help you. He can get to anybody. I'm begging you. Go. Cal puts the gun in his pocket and grabs the file and leaves the apartment. While McTaggart whispers, destroy Calder. God help you. After Cal leaves the apartment, McTaggart reaches down to his ankle holster and takes the gun out and shoots himself in the head. Big rips to McTaggart. So if he couldn't move, how did he get all the food and trash around? I mean, do you need to... I know. Same reason As I, was why... saying it, I, I stopped saying it because Zach had the look on his face like, I don't know, man. I mean, <laughs> the same reason why Cezanne is like a, 
uh, you know, high priestess in his religion and doing a whole cult ritual. It's like, wait, why is he that guy? Why is it? Wh why do these things happen? It's the Steve Brule face. Uh -huh, uh -huh, I don't know. <laughs> There's a, there are some like plot holes that, that, that just don't track, but I'm okay with it. No, they, they don't. They don't hold the movie back at all. I, I they don't. fucking love this movie. I think it's I think it's amazing. But I am a little bit surprised that through our discussion, we're discovering a lot more like sort of plot holes and things that I, I kind of didn't notice the first time. I don't think we're wrong about what we're what we're noticing, but I do find it interesting that this movie was I was like, man, this movie's so good, but it's not it's not perfect. It's not perfect, and and I was gonna point this out earlier. There's two tonal shifts musically. One, uh, I think it's when Cal goes to meet Tony, and then there's and then it's when he goes to McTaggart's apartment. Um, the music goes into like a synthwave score. It it changes. The music totally changes, a la Carpenter in Escape from L.A. Yeah. If you want to hear that discussion, Escape from L.A., that'll be coming up pretty soon in our Carpenter Factor series exclusively on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash podcastingafterdark to check out the Carpenter Factor. And if you already are a subscriber, you know how awesome it is. You're such a great hype, man. I appreciate you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> it's, hey, it's working. It is, buddy. We're doing great, man. And, and Tudor Lafey's doing great. And I, I think it's I think it's awesome. So thank you all so much, everyone who's who supports us on Patreon. We really yeah. appreciate all of you all. Hey, I just got done playing a gig with my band, so I'm like all about hyping shit up. And, you know, this is not the last song before the, the night ends, but we're getting pretty close to it. It'd be nice if if more people hyped up other people, you know, like hype each other up, man. There's no reason to bring each other down. Let's just hype each other up, man. Let's oh, make the world positivity. a better place. All positivity. That's right. We see. And by the way, guys, there's not much time left. It's going to go pretty quickly at this point moving forward because we're, we're pretty much getting into the third act. Uh, we see Cal driving back home. Cut to Jessica in bed. She struggles to get up, but eventually makes her way to the kitchen. She stumbles to a mirror and sees that the pimple is almost the size of her face. I mean, it's fucking huge. She screams and falls onto the floor. The phone rings and she reaches for it, but the giant zit bursts and pus oozes down her face. Jessica moans on the floor, touching the sore. Just then, spiders start crawling out of the oozing hole in her cheek and Jessica starts screaming and flailing around the apartment. Cal comes home to his apartment and and goes to call Marty. He tells him he has something important he wants him to hold on to, the, the file, Calder's file, essentially. Just then, he looks across the street and sees Jessica flailing around in her apartment. He tells Marty to stay there and goes running to her aid, which is, of course, why we needed his that perv scene earlier where he was perving on her. We have to, we have to be able to see that he can see into our apartment. For yeah. This, yeah. Cal finds Jessica on the floor unconscious. He picks up a phone to call an ambulance and looks down to see spiders all around. So, Zach, my question to you is, when, when I saw the Ugh, scene, it gross. looks like there's a lot of spiders, then there's no spiders. So I was like, I was taking it that it was all in her head, right? That the spiders were in her head. Obviously, the pus-filled zit was real, but the spiders were in her head. But then Cal finds a spider on the, the, the cord of the phone and... And then he looks down and has this, like, look of shock. But then it cuts immediately to the ambulance. So you never get 
any idea of what he looks at is looking at is he looking at like hundreds of spiders essentially that's what i think yeah so you think that was real then oh yeah yeah especially if there were snakes in the bowl earlier thank you that's what i needed you just pieced it together for me that he can make teleportation or whatever the fuck at yeah okay so that was real then yeah oh yeah totally yep and there's some freaky scenes where fucking like uh, real spiders are crawling up the actress's face and shit. Yeah, they're big spiders too. Oh, Ooh, it's a would you rather moment. Would you rather have maggots in your mouth like they do in Italian horror films, or would you rather have spiders on your face like they did in The Believers? Uh. Oh, God, both are so fucking terrible, man. I don't know. The, I'm going spiders, with maggots. I guess I'm going with maggots. They spiders could bite you. Yes, and they can move and, and like whereas maggots are sort of like they are where they are, you know. Yeah. Whereas the spider, Ugh. it's oh my god, oh god, it's horrible. No thanks. Cut to Jessica in the hospital, being rushed into intensive care. Cal is with her. Back at Cal's apartment, the phone rings, but the answer machine gets it. It's Kate. She says. If you hear this, don't call me. Change of plans. Please, God, what have I done? Then it cuts to Kate on the phone in the lake house, so the scene shifts to her as she's on the phone. We see Paolo outside her open window. Kate goes on, I will explain all when I see you. Meet me at Flanders Inn. Flanders, Ned Flanders Inn. Did someone say Ned Ned Flanders? (laughs) We see Paolo disconnect the phone line. Back at the hospital, Jessica is asleep. Cal kisses her on the forehead and leaves. We see Marty driving Cal out of the city. Cal says to his lawyer friend, Marty, you make sure they take care of her till I get back. Marty says, I will. She's covered. Look, I told everyone at the hospital I'm a lawyer. What are they, idiots? Relax. Marty tells Cal to get some some sleep, and he does. At this point, I still think Marty's in on it. Me too. We cut to Marty driving his car up a long road through the woods to a big house by the lake. Cal asks if he can find his way back, and Marty says, no problem. He then hands Marty McTaggart's gun and says, thanks for everything. That's a cop's gun, by the way. Thanks for everything. I found this. I uh, thought you might like it. Yeah. Enjoy. <laughs> Enjoy these. Enjoy these burgers and this gun. <laughs> Dennis greets Cal at the door. He says that Kate's gone to her all-night market to get food. As Marty drives away, he sees a couple cars hidden in the woods. He couldn't see them as they were drove in, but he can see them now. Marty looks concerned. And now I'm like, okay, Marty's not with them. Okay. Yep. And then then I'm like, oh, Marty's dead. But <laughs> <Yeah>. not necessarily. <laughs> yeah. Once Marty, I realize Marty's not with them is the same moment that I realized Marty was, was a goner. Right. Inside the house, Cal runs upstairs to see Chris. He walks by a, uh, he walks by a picture of a familiar couple. It's the couple from the opening credit with the sick child in Africa. Nice callback. Nice callback, Chief. Nice callback. Cal walks into the bedroom and kisses Chris on the forehead. A little bit later, Dennis and Cal are downstairs. Dennis hands him a glass of whiskey. Dennis says, Hell of a week for you, my friend. Cal says, Hell of a year. Dennis goes on, 
That's true. It is hell, isn't it? There's no point in denying it. The kind of loss you suffered, that kind of grief, it's dreadful. But what can you do? Be a man about it. That's what you've done. You just go on. And then one day you wake up and it's just the slightest bit better. And that's the way it changes. Little by little. Small increments. That's the way it is with us. We thought we'd never get over it, but you do. Cal asks when when that was. Kate's field work, postgraduate, summer of 46, the Sudan, 11 months in the bush. Haven't I told you this story? Cal says no. Dennis goes on. Worst drought in 50 years, then cholera. We saw half the tribe decimated. Daniel was only four years old. I argued against bringing him, but Kate insisted. We see a quick flashback of a scene with, from the opening credits. Dennis goes on. She couldn't bear to leave him that long. And you can kind of tell now Cal is getting a little woozy. Then, when Daniel took sick, the elders of the tribe came to see us. We've developed a trust with them by then. A bond. What they suggested seemed unthinkable. Against nature. At this point, Cal is getting worse. He looks at his whiskey and smells it. But you see, Cal, Daniel was so clearly beyond any medical help. And as outsiders, it was really a great honor. I like this. Dennis's voice starts to distort. Yeah, it's cool. Daniel, he's like, Daniel was very brave. (laughs) And the drought did end, Cal. We were delivered. And the life of another child was saved. Dennis looks over and Paolo walks in. I mean, guys, this is everything. This is the entire everything, you know? Yeah. The entire movie. Dennis goes on. A most remarkable child. Over the years, he's grown so special to us. Almost like a son. He's taught us so much. Cal looks at Paolo and we hear the door open and Calder walks in. He says, of course you're uncertain, naturally. So was I until I met him. Now imagine a life without uncertainty, freedom from doubt, the ability to choose, single-mindedness. Calder sits down on the couch. Dennis says, one life from each of us is all he asks. And he rewards our devotion a thousandfold. I think I got that email, by the way. (laughs) What? I think I got that email, by the way. (laughs) One sacrifice is all he asks. Yeah. Some guy in Africa said, like, you know. (laughs) Some prince in Africa. (laughs) (laughs) Touche. Good one, buddy. (laughs) That was a good one. I like that. Calder adds, personal desires. Oh, yes. That's part of it. But it's only the beginning. There was a time when man was at one with the gods before the fall. Now we're at one again and their their benediction is power. We see a whole group of people walk in the lake house from the outside. Dennis, and this is when I was like, oh shit, this is like hereditary. Have you seen hereditary? Yeah, I I did. Um, It's a rough watch, isn't it? Yeah, I I mean... 
I'm not a huge fan of that genre, but it was really good. Yeah, <laughs> right. Ooh, wild. I mean, but this that this that movie I think pays. Well, we talked like we talked in the onset. Elements of this are very similar to Hereditary. I think that this. I think Hereditary is closer to the believers than to uh, Rosemary's Baby. Yes, for sure. Believers, believers. I hate that song too. By the way. Was that Imagine Dragons? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nah, I'm not a big Imagine Dragons fan either. Like, I love that they got that song, Thunder, Lightning, and the Thunder. Yeah. And that's all they say through the whole, well, not that's not the only thing, but they say it over and over, and you're like, oh, my God, how many? How long did it take you guys to write this song? Because this song sucks. It does. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I, I'm not the biggest. Like, as far as newer stuff goes, I'm more into like the midnight and the yeah, weekend and stuff just, like that. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not into Imagine Dragons. I'm sorry, no, but sorry. I am seeing a uh, uh, Tool in concert uh, with Myra in October. They're coming to Eugene. We got our tickets. Oh, cool. So I'm, I'm excited for that. I mean, that. that's cool. But yeah. again, sorry if I'm offended anybody. I apologize, but you know, uh, it's just not. It's not for me. It's not for me. This has been a musical hot take episode. <laughs> I don't know why. Just... I don't know. What's the Santeria? It's, it's the fucking sublime. It's, yeah, it's, it's all so... started. <laughs> God damn it. Damn it. Uh, My sacrifice. Uh, Dennis says that Chris was chosen when he found the shell. So I think that was the catalyst. Him finding the shell was truly the catalyst. Everything up to that point was just bad luck, man. I mean, that's bad luck, too, that he just happened to find the shell. Yeah. no, Because it could have been that annoying lady, you know, annoying bad actor lady. <laughs> in an alternate reality, she's the one that's about to be sacrificed and yeah, everything. Yeah, the movie, movie would have been, been over uh, to <laughs> roll credits. Yeah, seriously. That lady fucking sucked. Yep. Uh, it was a sign. Then, they, then he says that they want Cal to join them. Cal looks around and we see the parents of the first kid that was found dead in the abandoned theater. Behind them are more people from the party. Cal slowly, Cal slowly gets to his feet and drops the whiskey. This is the scene that I said where like he, it, it the camera's so low yeah. and he rises so high. Yep. He runs to Chris's room, but he's not in bed. Cal locks the door and breaks the window with a chair so he could escape. Cal runs to the boathouse and stumbles his way to, to the boat. It's, it's actually kind of bad acting. Uh, well, there just happens to be a ladder uh, on that floor that he can climb down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. That's I know. cool. And then, like, the way he stumbles is kind of like, yeah, you yeah. know. So he gets into a boat to escape. But when he throws back the tarp, he sees Kate underneath with her throat slit. So they, they killed her. Cal screams and Paulo comes up behind him and puts him in a chokehold, like at a headlock, and makes him pass out. I wish he said, "Go to sleep, go to sleep." <laughs> I know. I was hoping someone would come up and lift uh, Cal's arm and go one, <laughs> two, and then at the third one he holds it and he starts like hulking up, but then he just drops it. <laughs> uh, we cut to Marty smoking in his car. He's hidden off the side of the road. He sees a limo go by and follows it. Inside the limo, Dennis and Calder are sitting on either side of Cal, and Paolo and one of Calder's assistants are across from them. 
Paolo's eyes are milky now. Calder hands Cal a drink and says, man, there's a lot of C names in this, dude. There's Calder, Cal, and Chris. Calder? Yeah, Calder, 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 Calder. <laughs> My God, guys. Mazur, Mazur, Mazur. Mazur, Mazur, Mazur. Mazur, Mazur. He hands Cal a drink. Calder hands Cal a drink and says, it must be the father. Cal drinks in a daze. It's now daylight, and we see the limo drive down the coast to an abandoned factory and park inside. Cal is led to an altar on the upper floor of the factory by Dennis and Calder and the rest. There, everyone from the party is standing around as witnesses. Some are on the same level as the altar, and some are on the floor above. There's still more floors above them. Dennis says, We consecrate this ground with this father's humble offering. We seek... The strength and wisdom of our benefactors. Calder says, We call upon the ancient gods to renew our strength. Guide our hand to strike down the enemies of our faith and of this great nation. Got to add that. And it's it's mid-80s. Reaganomics. It's all yep, about America. Of course. Yep. Dennis adds, We welcome our brother Cal. He's who's still looking a bit drugged. Reborn into our grace. The crowd chants, Restore nature's order. The power, which is our birthright. The glory, which is our destiny. Our enemies consumed by rings of fire. Our strength, reborn in sacrifice. Cal looks down at the altar and sees a goat, but it's hazy. He clears his eyes, and now Chris is lying on the altar. Everyone in the group walks up and shakes Cal's hand. As Cal slowly looks up, he sees Marty with the gun on the floor above them. Paolo, gla- Paolo grabs his ceremonial dagger and gives it to Cal while uttering a prayer. Cal looks around at everyone in the room, then watches Paolo put a large bowl under Chris's body. Cal walks up to his son and raises his knife. Chris opens his eyes and looks at his dad. Dennis, while standing next to Cal, says, Do you believe? With the knife raised up, Cal says, Yes, I do believe then plunges the knife into Dennis's stomach. Everyone screams in shock. Someone runs to get Cal off Dennis, but Marty shoots him in the back. Yep. Cal quickly scoops up Chris from the altar. Everyone runs while Marty kills Cultus left and right. He's a hell of a shot. Yeah, he blasts one guy in the head. It's hilarious because the guy's just like, oh. Yeah. Yeah, I noticed that too. It's the it's the assistant guy with the mustache, and he kind of just goes, "Oh, like a little shock face." Yep, that's what the that's the face you make when you die. I hope I hope I make a better face than that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's chaos. We see Calder taking the elevator up while holding Chris, who seems also to be kind of drugged. Cal and Marty meet up and start chasing the elevator up to the top of the factory. By the stairs. I didn't write that down. They, they're they going up the stairs. Yeah. They split up, and Marty takes a floor while Cal keeps going up. As Marty walks around, he hears Chris call out. Marty follows the voice, and we see it's Paolo, perfectly imitating the little boy. Marty keeps frantically looking around the floor, but Paolo shoots him in the shoulder with a dart from his blowgun. Marty, Marty takes it out, but starts getting woozy and falls to the ground. He sees Paolo coming towards him with a chain to strangle him. Marty feels around in his pocket 
and then he throws his flammable magic powder in Paula's face and lights it on fire. Paula runs away screaming, and Marty falls over. I think he's dead. No, nope. I don't want him to be dead. Do you think he's just paralyzed? I I think I think uh, that was to like slow him down because Paulo goes to try and choke him to death. Why would he try to choke him to death if that dart if, was going to kill him? Right, you would have shot him and then walked away from him. Yeah. So I, my my gut is telling me Marty's still alive. I'm with you, Marty buddy. Lives. I, I'm with you, man. I'm with you because he fucking fucks up Paulo and. I mean, we talked about it before. We needed all that shit telling us how much he cared about Chris to understand why he would be in this position right now. Yeah, it's great. No, he's still alive. Marty's fine. I, I'm i with you, buddy. Because you know what? He's the fucking hero of the fucking movie, man. He is. Cut to Cal running through the factory yelling for Chris with the dagger in his hands. He comes to a locked cage and sees Calder inside with Chris. I'm guessing it's like a it's like a big... It's like a machine shop inside of the factory but it can also be locked too yeah yeah okay he bangs on the door and shouts while calder yells back that god gave his only begotten son you need to remember that calder goes on it's god's will the innocence redeem the world it's why we gave our sons to war in the name of peace sacrifice our families to false gods ambition lust and power cal makes his way around the cage and finds chris in the corner Calder picks him up and holds him close to the cage. Cal says, And your son was innocent, wasn't he? And you sacrificed your son to the gods, didn't you? Calder slowly puts Chris down. Calder looks at Cal and says, That was my salvation. I was reborn. Cal says, It must have taken great strength and great courage. Tell me. And this is, of course, a ruse. Yeah, he's using he's using his psych background to manipulate him. Mm-hmm. Yep. Calder stares off into the distance and says, "He looked into my eyes." Chris says, "Dad," but Cal kind of shushes him. So now you know it's like it's all part of a plan. Calder goes on. He forgave me, Peter, my son. He understood. And he looks back, but Cal's gone. He uses the dagger to open the door to the cage then rushes Calder and stabs him in the chest with a dagger. Cal grabs Chris and they run out of the cage. As they make their way to the elevator, Paolo jumps Cal from behind and puts the chain around his neck. They struggle by a ledge overlooking the center of the factory while Chris watches from a different ledge. Chris takes off his wishing shell necklace and drops it below. When Paolo hears this, he looks up and says, Chris, his face is burned and scarred from Marty's flammable powder. He also seems to be maybe blind. Yeah. Paolo lets lets Cal go and starts walking towards Chris. He doesn't realize there's a gap in the floor between him and his prey. Chris says, I'm over here. Paolo says, come to me. But the kid says, no. You come to me. Kind of, he says it very, like, like earnestly, you know? Whereas yeah, I almost intense. get the sense that now he has the power to control. He does. Yep. Paolo takes a few steps, then falls through the gap and gets impaled on metal rebars below. Chris runs to Cal and they hug. We cut to Cal holding Chris as they run out of the factory. 
Someone's someone's gonna fire find that factory like years later or whatever. What? I mean, all these dead bodies everywhere. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> I wasn't even supposed to be here today. <laughs> nice clerks, nice clerks reference, buddy. <laughs> And you're like, sometime later, next Monday, next yeah. Monday, yeah, right. hey, guys, coming into work, working in my factory. What the <laughs> fuck? Coming into work, working in my fa- work, work, work. Oh, shit. Ah. Dead bodies everywhere. Let the bodies hit the floor. Let the bodies hit the, the floor. Let the bodies hit the floor. <laughs> uh, now we have the denouement. Some time has passed, and we see Cal driving through the countryside in a Jeep with a German shepherd in the back. Sarah very, Connor? Very like Sarah Connor. Yeah, Sarah Connor. <laughs> I know. <laughs> they pull up to a huge farmhouse with lots of land and go inside. Cal says hi to Chris, who's uh, cooking chickens on the grill. Jessica walks up and gives Cal a kiss. She's noticeably pregnant. Jessica tells Chris to be careful with the grill, and he says, All right, Mom. So I've never been a big fan of people calling their step parents mom or dad. I don't that maybe that's just me. I don't know, but I always find that to be a bit weird. I mean, he's been through so much trauma at this point. Like, L- let him have this, basically. Yeah, let him have his moment. <laughs> Good. Okay, I like how you're the voice of reason. <laughs> I try. Jessica and Cal go inside and kiss, but then Chris calls for mom, aka Jessica. Cal puts milk away in the fridge and then hears his dog barking at the barn outside. Cal goes over to inspect the building with his trusty canine. He walks in and sees the dog trying to get up the ladder. He yells if anyone's up there but gets no response, so he slowly climbs the ladder and he sees a giant Santeria altar with multiple sacrificed animals, chickens, rabbits, owls, calves, and more. A picture of Cal, Jessica, and Chris at their wedding is covered in blood. Cal looks shocked. Below him, Jessica walks into the barn. She smiles and says, I did it for us. We'll be safe now. Cal just stares at her as the movie fades to black. I mean, she's not wrong. After all the trauma, she had spiders coming out of her face. You think she got a little messed up from that? Uh, probably. <laughs> she knows it works, right? Like she knows, she it knows works. that this shit is real. Yep, so, so I wasn't expecting this at the end, but then when I thought about it, I was like, it kind of makes sense that somebody, you know, involved in all of this who walked away from it, being Jessica, Cal, and Chris, yeah. somebody would have been like, you know what? I, I mean, I think all this shit might have been real. Maybe we need to invest some, you know, time in it ourselves. Right. Well, and where's Chris, by the way? He's inside, so he's like grilling chickens. Like, no, like no, but I mean, like when he them. called out to his mom, and, and he called out to his quote, his new mom. Yeah. You know, and then they don't really show him after mm-hmm. that. But I'm, it is it is what it is. It is an eerie ending. I think it's supposed to end kind of eerie. Like, what's going to happen next? Yeah, and it is kind of eerie. But I don't know, man. I take it as a happy ending. I don't have a problem with it. But the way the movie ends, Cal's kind of looking over his shoulder, like in an almost like a judgmental way. Well, he's been skeptical since the beginning of the movie. So, you know, for him to go back to that thought, 
that reasoning, uh, you know, after everything's all good, it, that tracks too. Like, yeah, you know, so he's probably freaked out by it. Uh, they never made a believers too, so we'll never know. We will just have to story build on our own. But it, it, it's a really nice, it's a solid ending to a very disturbing film. Yeah, overall. Yeah. So yeah, fi- final thoughts on this on the movie, buddy. Final thoughts is it's it's definitely worth rewatching, and I think you're gonna have to watch it. Well, you, you'll listen to this and then watch it, or vice versa, to get all those questions answered. Um, but it's great. It's a it's a really well done film. And definitely one that should, uh, well, I'm glad we got to revisit it. So thank you, Cam, for, for bringing it to the podcasting after dark table. Yeah, seriously. Thanks, Cam. This was, this was an awesome ass movie and I very much enjoyed watching it. It hit, it hit some notes for me that, that just really, I enjoyed and everything. It's not a perfect movie, uh, by any means. Uh, it's got some holes in the plot and everything, but, uh, easily overlooked, and uh, obviously, if you've made it this far, and then maybe if you go and watch it after this, maybe you don't have to have multiple viewings. Maybe you can get everything in one viewing after this. But I very much enjoyed my time with the Believers. And again, Cam, thank you so much for bringing this one to the table. Yeah, it'll definitely uh, also change your opinion of Sublime by the end of it, too. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. But you know what? never i can't make a good segue i don't know anyways what uh what are you guys talking about in territory marks buddy (laughs) (laughs) well we just dropped the latest episode uh you know two dollar late fee is now a weekly podcast we drop an episode every single week and we just dropped our latest episode of territory marks paul london former wwe wrestler and current wrestler and actor and good buddy and part of the $2 family. Uh, and I bro, we titled this one feel, 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 feel me heat, feel me heat. <laughs> uh, because there's a lot of heat between the two, uh, matches. One of them is the Von Eriks versus the Freebirds. The Von Eriks are a storied tragic family from wrestling territory days in Dallas, Texas. And the Freebirds are one of the best heel factions in the biz with you, Michael P.S. Hayes. P.S. standing for purely sexy, by the way. Yeah, you've told me about the uh, Von Erichs before. You've mentioned yeah, this, uh, they're, aren't they all, didn't they all die sort of tragically one by one? Yeah, there's like five or six brothers, and there's only one that's still alive. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you've, you've mentioned them before to me about like sort of trying to – impart you know like what made them so special it was obviously lost on me but i do appreciate the fact that that you're going to be talking about them now am i going to learn about them in in this episode you will you will for sure uh we both offer some cool insight into both teams and then and then paul uh brings up we we honor the late great iron Sheik Mm. and uh his match with a guy named matt Bourne, who many people who are wrestling fans will know as doink the clown in the wwf oh my god i know who the fuck that is dude if and if you're interested he just uh Dark Side of the Ring just dropped an episode about Doink the Clown, Matt Bourne. It's very dark. The guy has a a very disturbing story about what happened to him in his career. What network is uh, Dark Side of the Ring on? It's on Vice, but you can go on YouTube, and the episodes are free on YouTube. Someone already dropped the episode on YouTube, so you can find it there. Yeah, I think Vice is dead, isn't it? 
Vice is dead, I think. Yeah, I think there may, might be a YouTube exclusive thing now. I don't know. Okay. But um, yeah, but but the episode is full of a lot of fun stuff. And then the the third act of the show, you know, I bring a match, Paul brings a match, and then we have the third act talking about nostalgic stuff. Um, you'll hear a young Zach Schaefer and the recordings I've made. Well, you'll just have to hear it. Supernatural. Yeah, this one is going to be wild. So <laughs> I, I, I sing an 80s theme song, oh an 80s cartoon theme song, God. word for word, <laughs> in the best version I can do. I think I was like 10 at the time. Anyways, Territory Marks is going strong. Oh my gosh, I love that show. I love all the things we do on $2 Late Fee as much as I do on Podcasting After Dark. Uh, we are getting ready to record our TV Obscura episode soon, so we'll be doing some research into what's going to come on that and then there's our Patreon, right, yeah, then, Corey? Yeah, then there's fucking uh, the Carpenter Factor and everything. But, yeah, dude, you live because you have both fucking feet in $2 feet and pad. You live 24-7 in a world of 80s and 90s, essentially. Oh, my God. <laughs> I am literally doing everything I've always wanted to do in my life. I, and you'll hear from a 10-year-old perspective. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm doing it, man. Brother, that's awesome. I'm happy to hear that. Have you I'm right there with you, that? buddy. Dustin, I'm, to thank for that. I, I mean, I, I, I love you and Dustin. I'm, I'm glad all three of us are rocking and rolling. I can't wait for our next crossover episode. Um, we are, we're actually, you know what? We're like two months away from it. We are, but I, I at the same time, we didn't do any pomp and circumstance. But this is kind of this is actually the last episode of season three of podcasting after dark. Oh, wow. So it's, it's weird, I know, right? We didn't like have any pomp and circumstance for it, but like Zach's next movie, whatever he picks next for us to break down and review, will be the start of season four or no, wait, no, season five because I'm confused. Well, we started, we started in 2019, didn't we? We've had three posters done. We're getting our fourth poster done. Yeah, season so, four. So, yeah. So we just finished. We're about to finish season four, right? Oh, wow. Yeah, I guess so. Jesus Christ, man. Like, it's so crazy that we're fucking, we can't fucking figure this out. Like, it, that's how much, that's how much content we've produced. And, and that's how much content you've produced on two fucking separate shows. So it's wild. But regardless of what season we are, our Patreon, everything is evergreen anyways. It doesn't really matter. We kind of just split things up into seasons just for just for shits and giggles. But everything's evergreen, especially our Patreon page, patreon.com slash podcast after dark, where like Zach says, we do we have a, a monthly show uh, called Wrap Up After Dark where we kind of talk about everything that's going on. It's free form. We have fun with it and everything. But we also announce the movies that we're gonna be reviewing next month and everything. But I'd say the backbone of our Patreon is the Carpenter Factor, like Zach has mentioned. Uh, we are going through every single episode of John, every single movie of John Carpenter's, and uh, oh god, next next uh, next month or this month we are dropping our review of uh, Escape from L.A. And then when Zach and I still have to record our review of Vampires, oh, we're we're in some wild times, guys. Oh boy. Well, we will. Uh... We'll cross. We'll cross that sublime bridge when we get to it. Uh, that Santorina bridge. I, I don't practice vampires. I, I don't, don't vamp. 
practice vampirina. <laughs> Guys, this is a four-hour episode. I am done. I have no more mental capacity left. Nice but, job, Corey. <laughs> thank you again, Cam. Thank you so much for uh, The Believers, man. This movie was freaking awesome. Yeah, thank Please you, Cam. Go- you rock, dude. Go check out Zach's been on the show, uh, the Jacked Up uh, Review Show podcast. I'm uh, my episode is going to drop. Cam and I talk about the Aliens versus Predator comic books um, from Dark Horse from the '90s. Uh, my episode's going to drop, I think, a few weeks after this one drops. So please go check out their show, the Jacked Up Review Show podcast. It's a lot of fun. Zach's on there. I'm on there. It's a good time. So as always. This is Robert Loja letting you all know that we'll catch you on the dark side, you son of a bitches. Be sure to subscribe to Podcasting After Dark and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Support Podcasting After Dark on Patreon. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Podcasting After Dark. And visit us next time for another installment of Podcasting After Dark with Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Imagine being one of the last people on Earth, being trapped alone with something not human. Something always watching. Something always waiting. What would you do? Where would you run? Where would you hide? If you were haunted for seven winters alone. Podcasting After Dark presents Seven Winters Alone. A dystopian haunted house story by David Irons. Available now in paperback and ebook.